So when you're just being in a situation as you were describing earlier and trying to radiate whatever you're thinking, love or kindness or, or calm, the pattern of your heart is the amplifier of that feeling. The rhythmic pattern of the heart is the, is the wave that carries it out into space. So it's, it's no surprise at all, even from a standpoint of physics, that you'd be changing the dynamic. I'm Bruce Cryer, and I'm on the Lifestylist Podcast. Welcome back, friends. Today we'll be covering what might just be the most important topic we've ever explored on The Lifestylist, the transformative power of the heart, the center of our experience of love. Our guest is Bruce Cryer, and here's a taste of what we get into in this episode. Bruce's meeting and subsequent work with Dr. Joe Dispenza, Bruce's cancer diagnosis, treating cancer holistically, and why we get sick in the first place, how to gamify your health and well-being, the definition of heart coherence, and how we can infect others with the contagion of the heart, why the heart is 60 times more powerful than the brain, what makes the heart so much more than just a physical organ, a portal for higher dimensional intelligence and connection to God. What goes on at the HeartMath Institute and their Inner Balance Training Program, the 400-plus studies they've conducted, what HRV, or heart rate variability, is and why it matters, and the experiment I once did testing my HRV during a plant medicine ceremony, why the culture has so many heart-based terms like heartbroken, living from the heart and tapping into our heart-based intuition, and how connecting to the heart impacts our creativity and makes us better artists how to create a heart-centered business, tools for alleviating stress, stimulating creativity, and getting unstuck, hacks to achieve the flow state, and I also share my secret sauce in conducting meaningful interviews like the one you're about to hear, why our current timeline is brighter and darker than ever simultaneously, avoiding the pitfalls of both spiritual bypassing and getting stuck in our feelings, and finally, why feeling the brokenness of it all is the key to feeling the rapture. This, my friends, is episode 472. You'll find complete show notes at lukestory.com slash Bruce. And while you're at it, you can visit lukestory.com slash Bruce Gifts for some free musical guided meditations and ebooks on awakening creative brilliance. And if you're uplifted by this conversation with Bruce and feel inspired, I'd like to make a humble request. I'd invite you to take three minutes to leave a rating and review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You probably hear other podcast hosts make this request all the time. And to be honest, I probably should too, but I just forget. And I don't want to overwhelm you with requests. But when you leave a rating and review, it really does help this show reach more people. In the algorithm of podcast land, a show's reach and visibility largely depends on the number of ratings and reviews. So taking just a couple minutes to tell the world you listen and why goes a long way to support our shared mission. You'll find a leave a rating and review tab on most podcast apps. So if you feel like helping, go for it. And if you don't, just keep listening and enjoy the show. Let's go ahead and take a deep breath together and open our minds and hearts to the loving wisdom of Bruce Cryer on the Lifestylist Podcast. All right, Bruce, here we go. Let's do it. Awesome. So the first time we met, which you reminded me of, was at a Joe Dispenza retreat in Indian Wells, California, otherwise known as adjacent to Palm Springs. Yeah. 
And were you there just as a fellow participant like I was, or were you involved with heart math or doing something uh, behind the scenes that I wasn't aware of? I was there as a participant. You know, I had met Joe probably 12 or 13 years earlier. Uh, at a conference, I was moderating a panel, and he was one of the speakers, along with one of the heart math guys, Howard Martin, and another author, Marcy Shimoff. And Joe kind of dominated the panel, as he does, because he makes the damn much sense. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, but I, so I met him then, but didn't really stay connected. Didn't get into his work yet. But over the previous few years, before I met you in 2020. Uh, I was aware that he was really expanding and people were really getting into his work. Plus, he had begun to work closer and closer with HeartMath. So I, I knew that HeartMath was doing research to kind of support the work he was doing around brain coherence and heart coherence. And then I recommended to a conference in the Bahamas that I, where I was speaking on stem cell uh, and uh, research and regenerative medicine, that they bring in some people like Joe Dispenza for a conference like that, not, not just have the, the orthopedic guys who are doing stem cells into the knees, right? Have some people that are really on the leading edge of how to really regenerate, not just using external stuff. And I'd recommended they get Joe and they and Joe agreed. And so he was a speaker there and so was I. And it was a conference right after the hurricane that devastated part of the Bahamas. So the attendance was was terrible. And Joe was still there. And I thought, why did you come? <laughs> Anyhow, uh, it was it was a funny story that he it was on the way between stops. And so somebody booked him. He didn't even, he wasn't even asked because it was sort of a nice stop between New York and Houston or something. Oh, okay. But anyhow, we started talking and I was fascinated to see how he had evolved in my mind from how I, when I'd met him, whatever, 10 years earlier. Yeah, I remember it took me a while, but I, after I got kind of into his work, I realized that he was in What the Believe. Yes, that's that documentary, you know, and he was young and just. I mean, still Dr. Joe, but kind of young and scrappy and excited, you know. And exactly. He, he was much less refined. Yes. But yeah, I had totally forgotten that that's kind of when he popped onto the scene. That's the first time I ever saw him too. But in this conference in, in the Bahamas, we had a couple of private long talks over dinner and tequila martinis in one case. And I was just fascinated with hearing the story of how his thinking had evolved and, what the, and the work that he was doing. And I was like how do I get started, you know? And three months later, four months later, was the Indian Wells uh, week-long event. So I was there as a full-on participant. Coincidentally, HeartMath had a whole team of people there, the research director and two or three more researchers that were doing, you know, right. collecting all kinds of data. But I was there just, I'm here to learn and have an incredible And what experience. was your experience of it as just, you know, uh, assigning yourself as a student to that experience? Well, no doubt to me that, when you have a thousand people that are all committed to the idea of being in a coherent state and doing that with the heart and the brain linking up and, and dancing at the same time and a, a very loving bunch of people, you know, I was kind of blown away by the community that existed there. The number of people who were there who had been, this was not their first rodeo yeah. at all. But it's, he's kind of got deadheads. You know, he does. Like he does. People go on Dr. Joe tour. You they know, do. Which I kind of did for a minute too. I'd like to get back on the tour because I always just, you know, yeah. found so much uh, transformation taking place. Yeah. I felt that in visceral ways. You know, I think partly when you are meditating with the kind of intention we all had, a thousand people every day for hours every day, hours, but it didn't ever feel 
hardly ever. Maybe it did it at the time. It didn't ever feel boring or long or tedious. Not like when you hear about 10-day silent meditation. <laughs> you Vipassana, <laughs> Vipassana retreats. That's yeah. a little different. This that's, is That's funny. You know, I, I'm some, I meet so many people that have done, you know, if not one, multiple Vipassana retreats. And I, I did one silent retreat that was 21 days in, in India back in 04 or something. Wow. Um, but it is different kind of lineage. wasn't really a Buddhist kind of thing. But um, I'm so surprised that I have never done that because it, it's kind of one that most people just check off their list. You know, yeah. you've at least done one official Vipassana retreat and I've yet to do that. Um, the Dr. Joe events to me are so interesting because especially the, I think it was the second one I went to in Florida uh, that my wife Allison came to and my dad was also there because he lived two doors down. His winter condo is literally like next to the hotel where he was doing his, uh, his events there. Um, but I was really surprised by, I don't know if psychedelic is the right word, but just the activations that mm. people are having. Mm, yeah. And my dad, my dad was really shocked by that. You know, there's one of the meditations yeah. all of a sudden, you know, a lady three rows behind you is like, ah, you know, started <laughs> exactly. screaming or laughing or crying. Exactly. I see my dad looking around like, what the hell? But I've never really had that, that depth of experience. And I've been meditating for a couple of decades. And, you know, I've had some profound sort of transcendent experiences where everything gets diffuse and quiet and it's kind of in that quantum space, right? Observing the mind, observing the sensations in the body, but never really seeing visuals or having spontaneous eruptions of emotion or anything like that. And I, I find that so interesting, just the, the model that he's created in the group of people as you said, that, you know, have the intention to go deeper. And when you get that many people together doing that, it's really, really interesting. Yes. I remember thinking like, just, did everyone take plant medicine or something? What is <laughs> happening here? You know, yeah. it's just, it's spooky. It's really, I mean, in the best sense, spooky. It's really interesting to just see what's possible through intention and a little practice. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, having been a dancer and and having uh when I, as we were talking a little bit earlier, having had double hip replacement, one of the things I didn't mention was that part of my rehab became uh, not a plan at all, but if I was introduced to the idea of five rhythms, which is a form of dance that's sort of meditative, but it's sort of, and it's improv, but it's a, it's a form that allows you to express yourself through different modes of music and therefore different modes, styles of dance. And at first when I was trying it, I was quite tentative because I had brand new titanium hips, one on each side. And I didn't know what my body could handle. And I was like, ah, I'm not sure I should be doing this. And not only should I be doing it, but it, it turned out to be a tremendous way for me to therapeutically kind of heal from not just the surgeries of the hips, but right before that, my mother had passed away. Right before that, I was dealing with MRSA, staph infection in my blood. Right before that, I had surgery for cancer. And my marriage was ending. Other than that, you know, nothing much was going on. So, uh, <laughs> oh, man. so here I am now, reali uh, realizing I could actually dance again, which which brought me to tears when I realized I could dance again. This is crazy. I'm able to dance on titanium freaking hips. And but I, what I found, why I'm relating this to to Joe's work, is that 
the ecstasy that I experienced, but also the release I experienced through dancing again and, and discovering things that were trapped in me that I wasn't even looking for. Grief about the loss of my mother that would come out on the dance floor. And I would thank God it's happening now and I'm able to kind of work through it and move through it. And I think there's a brilliance in Joe's work that he does as much movement as he does. You know, between the, the walking meditations which are very powerful. I, I still do them often. God, I have in the hills, dude. Yeah. I have them on my phone. The files. Actually, I was just I just did a, jo- a Dr. Joe like twenty minute morning meditation yesterday. Uh-huh. I just fell out of the habit. You know, I go yeah, through yeah, different sure. cycles of yeah. different things that I do practice wise, and uh, I saw in my feed that walking meditation. I was like, oh man, there was a point at which I was doing them more frequently. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when I lived back in LA, because I I lived in a well, I guess I kind of live in the hills now, but they were steeper hills. So it was the right timing. If I went to the top of the hill and back yeah, down, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I kind of, I had a nice little uh, setup there. Um, but yeah, it, it really is interesting integrating movement into, yeah. you know, that depth of mindfulness. There's definitely yeah. something there. Thank you for the reminder. I really need to yeah. like put it on my calendar so it happens kind of thing, you know? Happy to be a reminder. Yeah. Um, I w- want to get into all kinds of other stuff, but I just haven't thought about Dr. Joe. And he, he's one of my favorite guests uh, on the show. We'll put that in the show notes, by the way. If people want to check out that link, you'll find this at lukestory.com slash Bruce. So everything we talk about today will be linked there. I'm sure we'll talk about much more. But in Florida, during one of the long meditations, before you go out and do the walking meditation, mm-hmm. I mean... I had a really supernatural experience where I guess it's, you know, a kundalini awakening or something of that sort, but my body started shaking uncontrollably. And we're going to talk a lot about the heart today. And I'm so excited to talk to someone who spent so much of their life's work exploring that topic. But it was this energy kind of going through my heart and my chest is kind of heaving and it and at some point I tried to stop it and I could stop it. But if I didn't exert any effort to stop it, it just went. It was just a very spontaneous thing. Wow. And it went on for some time. And then we went out to do the walking meditation. I'm like, well, surely it's not going to happen when I'm standing up. <laughs> and I stand out on the beach and it's just like, it's wow. going. And I just, I just rolled with it, you know, and I'm crying and it's just not crying about anything, right? Yeah, I'm not yeah, thinking crazy. about my mother's death or, well, my mom hasn't yeah. died, but in your case, right? Yeah. There's... There's no like thought forms attached to any of the experience. It's purely right. energetic. Mm-hmm. It's just an energetic sort of clearing or yeah, exactly. activation or something. It's yeah. so fascinating. And I love phenomena like that. So mm-hmm. it was interesting to not become attached to it either. Like, mm-hmm. well, I hope yeah. it keeps going or yeah. I want to do this every day. You know, it's just, yeah, right. it's just a gift. It's like consciousness yeah. goes and just kind of moves through you for a moment. And, and then with the exception of, a couple other times, I've never really had anything, at least to, not to that degree of intensity and duration and also going outside. And you'd think that the conscious mind would take over when you get out there and you're like, oh, okay, I'm settled down now. But it just, it was activated <laughs> and there was no stopping it. You know, it was really, really neat. Tell us about your experience of living through uh, a cancer diagnosis. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I kind of never thought I'd be one of those people, right? Yeah, um, we, none of us do. Yeah, right? Yeah. And there wasn't that much in the family either. I mean, it's not like a, a cancer family, although there was some, but not particular. Yeah, it was pretty shocking. Um, 
you know, I had I had symptoms that I kind of wrote off as something far more benign, and initially they were very random and not didn't have any any real intensity to them. But then at a certain point, they started like getting very obvious and and kind of couldn't ignore it. And I knew something was serious because I was having blood discharges and whatnot. And went to the doctor, and based on where it was in my body, there was no question. They knew there was a large tumor. They they'd identified it. They'd seen it, but there was no question that it was cancer even before doing surgery or doing any biopsy. It was bla- the bladder. And uh, you can't have a benign tumor grow in your bladder, it turns out. And uh, so I already knew before the surgery that it was cancer, which was strangely comforting. You know, we didn't have to deal with that question. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it wasn't the answer I wanted. It's kind of cut to the chase. Kind of cut to the yeah, chase, yes. Yeah. But the, the biggest question in the mind of the doctor was, well, how far along is it? You know, we're hoping it's just been there for a while and it's been kind of slowly doing its thing and we're hoping it hasn't attached to uh, the wall and therefore started to spread and, and then, then it's a whole other story. And luckily it hadn't. So that was, that was good. It was just stage one. So I dodged a big bullet. And, but then the, you know, in the doctor's office, as he was describing what was going to go on, and he was expecting it was not advanced. He was expecting it was relatively slow. He was confident that after the surgery, he would have me on what was called immunotherapy, not neither chemo or radiation, which was much more benign. It had some side effects, but nothing, nothing like chemo or radiation. So he was pretty confident that was going to be what was going on. And uh, he had Googled me, which I found really unusual and refreshing that he already knew that I had this involvement with this organization called HeartMath. He already knew I was a speaker and traveled around the world. And I thought, you Google all your patients? (laughs) And actually, this is a funny story. No, he didn't. And he had seen in my chart, my medical chart from my primary care doctor with, that was sent over to him, I was referred to as Dr. Cryer at, one, at some point in the write-up about me. He said, you're Dr. Cryer, right? You went to medical school. No, I'm not Dr. Cryer. <laughs> and I never played one on TV either. Yeah. So I don't know what's going on here. But anyway, he was giving me even more respect because he thought I was a doctor. So we were having this fairly intelligent conversation around the prognosis and the protocol and everything. And at one point I said to him, um, I'm pretty clear, doctor, that I have a choice right now. And there's a, there, I'm at a fork in the road. And the dark side is quite obvious where I could go. You know, the fear, the anxiety, the, all the levels, all the things. Um, but I'm out there in the world all the time. And if what I go through can help anybody, I'm going to talk about it. And I'm going to share. And he, he kind of smiled and said, that's a very positive attitude to have. And I said, well, I'm at a fork in the road. I'm not saying I'm never going to go down the... I'm sure there'll be temptations and there were plenty, but I, I have got to go this route and I've got to be open about this somehow. That's what I felt. Plenty of other guys would not have necessarily gone there, especially given the fact it was bladder cancer. Who wants to talk about bladder cancer? Um, and it's not like I wanted to talk about the bladder cancer per se. It was more like, what yeah. am I going through that could maybe in some way help others? And it did turn out that way that so many times over the years I've been able to share through a keynote talk or a whatever or a video or whatever, just a little bit of what it's like to have that. In fact, I often, when people say, well, what's, well, like, what's holistic health mean or what's integrative health mean? And I say, let me, let me explain real simple to you. So when I heard the word cancer, do you suppose it was just my body that responded to that? Do you think my mind was racing? Do you think my emotions were going crazy? Do you think my spirit was even wondering, why me? Why now? What's going on? You know, so we're all of those 
dimensions, right? We're all those, those parts of ourselves. And so for me, I was aware of that, that this is a multidimensional issue and a multidimensional thing. Yeah, I need the surgery. That, that wasn't the question to me. I felt confident with the doctor. It wasn't like, oh, I think I'll just, I won't worry about the, I'm not going to do the surgery. I don't want to get all the surgery, especially not this kind of cancer. It's not comfortable. Every, every single treatment and every single is, is invasive is exactly where you wouldn't want it to be invasive. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> for the men out there, I took one for the team, that's for sure. So, I don't, you know, there's so many levels to it. Yeah. Uh, it, it ultimately became an incredibly powerful, liberating experience, oddly enough, with the whole set of things that happened, which include the, then getting staph infections as a result of some of the treatments, then that being hospitalized because the staph was in my blood, which is a life-threatening condition. You know, there's a lot of chapters to the story, but uh, in the end, I kind of realized that I had had it pretty easy my whole life physically. I had never had anything. I'd had pneumonia as a kid and had to go to the hospital for a couple of days or something, but, and I had a broken ankle playing football in ninth grade. You know, and that was like, that was about it for years. You know, just knowing very little about you, but you mentioned, you know, holistic healing and, and things like that. Uh, I don't see you as a guy that was spending your time prior to that diagnosis eating McDonald's and Not at all. smoking cigarettes and doing all those things. I mean, had you been living a, a pretty clean life, doing your best to eat organic and being active and sleeping well and things like that? Um, not all of those. <laughs> the sleeping <laughs> you well. You weren't perfect. No, but I was I, not you know perfect. what? I, it's sometimes. But, but yeah, I think even though you know I have minor health problems here and there, I don't foresee that kind of experience in my future because I put so much effort into being vital yeah, yeah. and healthy. And yeah. I find it interesting when someone is you know a relatively healthy person and they have an experience like cancer. I'm just like, yeah, but how does that even happen? If you're not you know eating a bunch of glyphosate all the time and you know, if you're, if you're putting poison in your body on a consistent basis for a number of years, it's almost guaranteed that you're going to get some sort of chronic or if yeah. not uh, life-threatening disease. I mean, were you surprised by it? Because you're like, wow, I've kind of been doing everything right. Or yeah, I definitely was. Um, and I guess over the years, I have learned that why we get sick has so many possible sources and including uh, something we've brought in from a previous life, including other factors that are more about our soul's blueprint, our soul's journey in this life. And it isn't necessarily, I mean, I'm, I do all the things and, and always learning more. And that was part of why I was fascinated to meet you because I know you're, you love to learn about every conceivable thing that could potentially benefit health. And I mean, this is one little example, my aura ring, that yeah. when I got that several months ago, it was like, this is very instructive about I'm thinking I'm I'm good on sleep. Yeah. I'm very, I really pay attention to this. I'm not I'm not one of those people that, that yeah. ignores it. And there was so much that I learned. Totally. Yeah. Do with the aura ring. I don't know if you've had this experience, but I'm always curious to see if my my aura ring uh, sleep score matches my subjective experience in the morning. And I always find it really interesting that there are nights when I feel like I slept really well and I wake up refreshed and I don't get that great of a score. And then there are other nights where I wake up and I'm like, oh man, today's going to be rough. I feel like I was up all night. This happened two nights ago. And then I checked my score and I got a really high sleep score. So I do my best to resist looking at my score in the morning 
Because I think there's a nocebo possibility mm. there where if I got yeah, a score, yeah. oh, you only got six hours, you got a 73, and you only got five minutes of deep sleep. I think it's going to affect the way that I feel that day because of just the belief that I'm yeah. holding about it. And I, I'm not always successful with this. I admit the temptation this morning got me. I was like, I'm really curious. I got to see, <laughs> you know, and it was better than I thought it yeah. had been today, yeah. you know, but I, I felt really tired this morning. I had this interview with you and it's like, ah, oh, doing all these things kind of ramp up my energy and, you know, get rid of the brain fog that I was experiencing. But for me, the most effective way to do it is to check it once a week, you know, and just kind of log, oh, Tuesday night, that makes sense because I ate a pint of ice cream at 11 p.m. and then tried to sleep well, you know? Yeah. But do, do you ever find that you kind of jinx yourself if you, if you look at it and you'll become tired because you look at the score <laughs> or something like that? Well, I anticipated that could happen before I started using it. And I was a bit skeptical. I kind of had never been that drawn to it because of that fact, okay, actually. Okay. And so I've been very much like, trying to understand. I don't always agree with the score, definitely. But I, I like all this little stuff that's been tracked. Like, well, that's really true. I was awake for an hour. <laughs> it wasn't bad. Right. And, and so that's where the, the tracking is not 100% accurate in, in a sense, because sometimes it'll ding you. Like, it doesn't like the fact that I can fall asleep in three minutes. I get dinged for that every single day. Right. Well, I taught myself how to power nap when I was in college and having ridiculous like three hours of sleep a night because I was performing a lot and then I had to teach Tai Chi at 6 a.m. So I had to learn how to get out quick to restore in five minutes or 15 minutes. I learned that 40 some years ago. So if I hit the bed, I can be out in no time. The, the aura ring does not like that because it, it thinks that I'm overtired. Oh, interesting. It, it is, you're so tired, you're falling asleep right. like that. The sleep latency. This for the latency. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm always being dinged on the latency thing. No, you don't get it. I'm, if I have five <laughs> minutes before a call, I can sleep for three of those minutes. Right. No problem. Right. <laughs> I've literally never met anyone in my life who doesn't like a little sex from time to time. In fact, some folks like it a lot of the time. The thing is that for men, their physical readiness is an important part of making this happen. Remember the last time you were at the gas station and you saw on the counter those horribly branded erection pills? Did you ever take a second to see what's actually in those products? They are terrible for you, just super toxic. And the same goes for most of the medication on the market that claims to help men in the bed, but who wants a four-hour erection, nasty side effects, heart problems, and a possible trip to the hospital to get rid of that thing? Well, luckily for me and maybe some of the men listening, I recently found this really cool product called Joy Mode that fills this gap. It's a performance booster, much like a pre-workout, but for sex. It's really cool. Joy Mode's gig is that they make natural and science-backed sexual wellness supplements for men. Their sexual performance booster is designed to support erection quality and firmness and sex drive. It contains clinically supported doses of L-citrulline, arginine, yohimbine, and vitamin C. To get yourself primed with the old joy mode, all you do is tear open the sachet and mix it with a glass of water, just like your favorite electrolytes. And uh, about 45 minutes later, it's going to be magic time. You'll notice better blood flow, better erection quality and firmness, and increased sexual energy and drive. I've actually taken this product myself many times, and uh, frankly, I was shocked that it actually worked and provided zero side effects. Do you gentlemen want to spice things up in the bedroom and boost your sexual performance? And do you want to do it naturally without those nasty prescription drugs? Well, we've got a special offer for lifestylist listeners right here. 
Go to usejoymode.com slash Luke and enter the code Luke at checkout for 20% off your first order. That's usejoymode.com slash Luke. How accurate do you, you know, we're going to talk about HRV and and stuff, of course, uh, today. How accurate do you think the HRV analytics are on the aura ring? Well, you know, I come from such a different orientation because with HeartMath, as I'm sure you know, we were very much about helping people see the actual pattern of the HRV. Ah, okay. And so in these kind of devices, I find the HRV, for me, useless. Okay. It's giving me a number. Right. It was 25 milliseconds last night. And <laughs> right. what does that mean? Uh, because you know, what we learned with HeartMath was that the pattern of heart rate variability looks chaotic in very simple sort of black and white terms, looks chaotic like an earthquake if you're in any sort of stressful emotion. It looks smooth like a sine wave when you're in any so-called positive emotion. So Uh, love, joy, compassion, appreciation, gratitude, peacefulness, feeling relaxed. The heart rhythm naturally goes into this smooth five seconds up, five seconds down, five seconds up, five. That's what happens. And you can train yourself to do it. That was one of the big... um, ahas of heart myth was how easy it was to train yourself to manipulate the rhythmic pattern of your actual heart and so when i see it in a lot of these devices where it's just giving you a number and not giving you any information about the pattern or what was going on emotionally for you that's one of the biggest challenges i think with a lot of these things is right i could be sleeping great from all the parameters in the aura ring but i've been tossing and turning at another level too yeah, it's not. Te- yeah. It's not telling me that. <laughs> An interesting thing too about the the aura ring score, from what I understand, is that it's very individual. So I yes. think my average over the course of a few years is around forty seven. Then I'll talk to someone and they're like, "Oh, I go, what's your your HRV look like in your aura ring?" And they're like, "Oh, one twenty five every day." I'm like, "What? I'm doing something <laughs> wrong," you know. But I, I think, as I understand it, just from you know reading the very brief sort of descriptions that come with their software. Well, that person's baseline of 120 or whatever is doesn't necessarily mean that theirs is better or higher that, than yeah, mine. Yeah. You're sort of competing with yourself, right? right? right. Um, so yeah, I wish that the, the ring, if anyone from Aura Rings uh, listening, I interviewed their, their CEO at one point a few years ago, but wouldn't it be cool though if, if you got more data on the HRV piece? Because I think that would be really useful and instructive just... In your day-to-day life, not not. I really only use the ring when I'm sleeping. I don't track like my fitness or anything really. Um, I just can't you, keep track of you it. You get extra points if you start taking walks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, I get but but I have played with the HRV where in the in the Aura app, I'll create a session, right, and then I'll do any number of things and see what happened to my HRV. Mm. In fact, I did that once um, in Costa Rica in an ayahuasca ceremony. Wow. So I was just curious. I'm like, what's my HRV going to do? So, you know, I as it started to come on, I reached over and barely could kind of operate the phone and I set the thing and four hours went by or something. And then the next day I looked at it, my HRV tanked. I mean, it was horrible during that period that I was really, you know, in the depth of yeah, the experience. Like, oh, that's, that's interesting. But I, I love the quantification. I think that's something yeah, that yeah. appeals to me about Dr. Joe's work is, okay, so we do all these things. There's an infinite number of practices, uh, whether it's just you with your breath, your movement, a meditation, prayer, um, 
or, you know, all these, I have all these crazy devices all over the house, Tesla coils and energy devices mm -hmm. and light machines and hypnagogic, this and that, right? Mm -hmm. It's always fun for me to see what it's doing. So I'm looking forward to um, the availability of more kind of home user analytics, like where I get, mm -hmm. you know, just a headband that's like a really accurate QEG, for example. And I can see, ooh, during the Dr. Joe meditation, I did laying on my PMF mat today. I went into high gamma. It's exciting to be able to gamify these practices. Yeah. Like my sleep over the years that I've been using the Aura Ring has improved dramatically solely by the fact that I'm, I've gamified it and I'm trying to beat my own scores, you yeah. know? If mm -hmm. I don't know, then I kind of uh, tend to lose motivation in a different yeah. modality because I just have this subjective, well, I think it worked kind of thing, you know? We assume convenient things about ourselves because it's, it's more comfortable to it. I'm sure I got my act together on sleep. Of course yeah, I would. Yeah. I've been doing freaking heart meditations for 30 plus years. Of course my sleep would be fine. Right, right. Yeah, I tried an experiment yeah. this week with this thing called the Mendy. It's my, one of my new tools. Oh, I've heard tools. of it. I've seen it. Yeah, it's really yeah. neat. It's to train neural activity, to, to mm -hmm. upregulate neural activity. And so it's rather than using QEG, it uses an infrared sensor. It's a little band that goes on your, your forehead. And that's got an app and you, it's neurofeedback. And so you just follow this little bouncing ball and you, you try to kind of with your mind like a Jedi, get the ball to go higher and higher. And over time, your score improves and it's, it's bringing blood to your prefrontal cortex and you know, has effects on focus and anxiety and all this stuff. So I've been doing that for pretty much every day for about a month. And I thought, oh, I'm going to go in front of the biocharger. It's this crazy. I don't know if you've ever seen a biocharger. It's a, just this huge energy medicine device essentially mm. and i sat in front of that thing and i watched my neural activity just go through the roof like way higher than it would ever be just sitting there and it was very affirming for me because mm. i'm cool i like the biocharger i've used it for years i, I find benefit but could i really prove that it's doing yeah, this or that yeah. so if i run like brain activation program i don't know i think it's working is it doing that yeah but to see my neurons go boing, you know, is, is kind of, it's impressive and it makes me want to do it more and actually utilize the tool. Yeah. So anyway, um, well, congratulations on thriving through the cancer experience and transmuting that into, into a gift that you can share. You know, I always am just in awe at people that go through something like that and come out the other side. Uh, let's go back to, are you still involved with HeartMath or have you gone rogue now and you're just doing your own thing? Um, <laughs> I'm still very connected because my daughter works there. My ex-wife works there. Oh, wow. And all the senior team were colleagues for, I've known most of them for 40 years. Yeah. So I'm still connected. I still teach heart math courses at, heart, at Stanford. I've got a course coming up. I'll be doing in a few months, a weekend retreat mostly about heart math oh, cool. and some of my own stuff. So I'm still very involved. So I can in talk to you a lot about it without you. <laughs> you definitely can. <laughs> without you being bored, you're like, oh, that was 10 years ago. I'm on to my next thing now. Yeah, it's in me and on me and through me. And, yeah. and I was so involved since day one, since before day one in, in helping develop the techniques. I've taught thousands, thousands of times. I have taught workshops, done coaching sessions, done keynotes, literally thousands. I think it's probably up to 5,000 or something at this point. Wow. And last Friday in Salem, West Virginia, I was doing a workshop for 20, 25 uh, athletic coaches and trainers and nurses. And it felt new. Wow. Despite the fact that I've done them for 30, 
over 30 years. And uh, because there's, there's something powerful about the information of heart math and the practicality of the techniques. So for example, to go back to that heart rate variability yeah. visual I was trying to give, um, I did this demo where we, the heart math has developed several pretty cool technologies and one's a computer-based thing and you see the, the graph live on the screen of somebody's heart going like that when you stress them out a little bit. But then if you can coach them for a bit, it'll turn into this very smooth rhythm. So the assistant baseball coach volunteers to be a volunteer subject and he comes up to the front. And I said, Cassidy, good to meet you, man. Um, are you like a high stress guy? He says, uh, yeah, I can be. I said, oh, excellent. <laughs> How are your math skills? Oh, not very good at all. I said, also excellent. And um, so I, started, I said, so we're just going to do a you know, simple little math thing. But there's, it's going to be kind of fast. You know, I just need you to count backwards from 13s. Um, but pretty quickly, because we're, we're running a little bit late, so I need to get this. And I'm just going to be kind of encouraging you by, by clapping rapidly. <laughs> so he's instantly kind of, and right, he's already hooked up. So I've already got his... What's he hooked up to? He's sitting there. He's hooked up to the HeartMath uh, software. There's okay. a sensor on his ear already picking up his got heart it. rate. And the, the heart rate pattern is being displayed on the screen. So people could see that each time I would unfold the story a little bit more... Yeah. and say there's going to be math and it's going to be stressful. His heart was spiking again and, and again. So there was already an awareness in the room that we're just playing around here and this guy's heart's already kind of jumping. Are you using the inner balance? Inner balance is the app okay. uh, with the sensor, which is an easier one to use for individuals, but it's hard to demonstrate for a group. So I use the older software because they can project it on a screen. I see, okay. Yeah, yeah I used to have the inner balance uh, device at some point. I don't know what happened to that, but uh, yeah, anyway, carry on. Yeah, so you know, I do the math thing with him and his heart rate's going up to 120, 130 beats a minute. <laughs> Sitting there just, and he was got all the answers correctly, but at a significant cost to his physiology. I mean, he was just really cranking it out there. And I said, okay, now I'm going to have us all learn this technique. And it's a way to get coherent, which is a term heart math uses a lot. To dis- and, and Joe Dispenza, of course, he talks all about heart coherence leading to brain coherence. So we were, this was their first experience to kind of learn about what heart coherence means. And I basically said, so what we're all going to do now is you're going to just focus your attention around your heart. You can focus it anywhere in your body, but right now you're going to focus it around your heart. And you're going to breathe in for about five seconds. And then you're going to breathe out for about five seconds, imagining the air coming into your heart and then imagining the air going out through your heart. And so I said, Cassie, let's just do that. And the whole room was doing that. And as soon as he started doing that, his pattern went from this chaotic earthquake looking pattern to this perfect sine wave. I mean, it was not, there was no distortions at all. Perfect. And I just kept with him. And then in a coherence practice, as Joe also talks about, you got to really be in your heart. It's not just about breathing. It's about finding a feeling of, gratitude or appreciation. Like I was really excited today to see you again, having seen you periodically in between meditations and dancing yeah. <laughs> in Indian Wells three years ago. And uh, so it, that was a positive feeling for me today. So I just asked him to focus on some positive feeling as he was doing this breathing. And so he kept doing that. And the pattern continued to be in this beautiful, very, very distinctive. We finally stopped and the audience could see this entire five or six minutes he was up there, this chaos all over the place pattern when he was struggling to try to 
uh, do the math. And and when he was just sitting there at the beginning, not knowing what was going on, just the uncertainty kind of had him a bit anxious. And there was the heart kind of going all over the place. And then just that period, breathing in and out through the heart, five seconds each way, and then bringing in a feeling of appreciation produced this beautiful sine wave that he just stayed locked into. I said, so all of your athletes, you got to learn how to self-regulate, don't you? Because if you were throwing the ball for the potentially game-winning, match-winning serve in tennis, you got to be in the zone to do that, right? If you're on the foul line with the game-winning shot, potentially you want to be in the zone to do that. So it, it was a, a fun experience. So um, I'm rogue in the sense that I don't work for the company, but I get asked all the time. Yeah, <laughs> all the time. That's good because yeah. I I wanted to talk to you so much about the heart today. Yeah, um, yeah. There's just ah, there's so much to explore. I think, but um, a couple of years ago, I had a, a realization, which looking back is kind of like why did it take me this long <laughs> to figure this out? Because uh, it's, it's a superpower, you know, that I've really used. And you essentially just described it. Um, and it's that this phrase came to me in a, in a meditation uh, that went, heart is where the home is. Mm-hmm. You know, like that saying, home is where the heart is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was going through this whole kind of process and, I don't know. It's it's hard to articulate, but essentially, I just I got this code, this key, mm. that the practice of life that is going to yield the most profound results are to just actually center my energy in my physical heart, like in this part of my body. Mm. And anytime I leave that awareness, I become more prone to anxiety or sadness or anything that we might um, reference as a, a negative emotion. I don't really think of things in a kind of binary way, but you know, but yes. just in common parlance, we say, well, happy is a positive emotion and sad is a negative. But if I want to be in an optimal state, especially in a situation in which there is a potential for anxiety or right. uncertainty, uh, et cetera. And it was just this, you know, extremely simplistic yet profound understanding that just kind of was delivered to me and just hit me you know heart is where the home is and it's just like anytime i feel any sense of separation uh and i i get caught in duality to any degree that's taking me out of my body or out of a state of deep presence that like this quick quick key to get back into who and what i really am is just go back in here and it's changed my life. It's so profound. And so that's you know, one of the reasons I was so excited to talk to you. And maybe a way that we could kind of frame this to open uh, this dialogue is the fact that many people have a perspective of the heart, that it's a physical organ, that it's a pump, that it's, yeah. it's like your liver or your pancreas or any number of other organs. And it's, it's a kind of a mechanistic, just physical-based approach. So on one end of the spectrum, you have that sort of left brain um, interpretation of it. And then on the other side, you go full woo-woo or Eastern mysticism that it's this energy center, that it's this, you know, it's this living entity unto itself and that it has, uh, you know, powers to reach beyond your physical space and you can connect with someone across the planet to their heart and your heart, this sort of supernatural or esoteric mm-hmm. energy approach, the chakras and all this, right? So... Maybe you could kind of meander down the path of 
what at this point in your career, having spent so much time, I'm sure personally, but also professionally, just understanding and teaching what this thing is that's behind our ribs, you know, uh, beyond the physical. Everyone kind of, I think, has a fundamental understanding of, well, the physicality of the heart and what its purpose or role is in the body. But into the more energetics of it at this point sitting here, how would you define it? What is this thing? I love your definition. Heart is where the home is. Um, you know, God, there's so many things that have influenced my sensations and my my sense of what the heart is in human existence. Um, to me, it's the it's the portal for higher dimensional intelligence, i.e., love. I think I have this personal view, partly influenced by a set of books I've read over the years called Life and Teaching of the Masters of the Far East, which it turns out was a key um, set of books that Joe Dispenza also read when he was a young guy. It was like a key thing. I'm I'm going deeper into what's the nature of God and and mankind, humanity. And uh, in there, it's talked about how uh, in the design of humans, God placed like a chip behind the heart. And that's where the presence of God can be felt. And I, I read that and I thought, wow, that is my experience. But I want to go deeper into that. So for the last several years, as part of my prayer and meditation work, I've had that very felt presence of God is in me. It's not, God's not out there. He's not something else. It's like, <laughs> if the interconnectedness is means I'm in it, <laughs> I'm not yeah. separate from it, can experience it above me. No, it's, it's actually in me. So I think energetically, you know, the heart is this, I mean, we've talked about it for years to bridge the mainstream science that we were committed to doing because we thought another system of self-help from California was not exactly needed on the planet. <laughs> um, but one scientifically based in mainstream yeah. science. Especially in this, were you guys in Marin or something out there? Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz, oh, okay. Same yeah. difference. Yeah. <laughs> Anywhere within a few zip codes of there, you would have an abundance of, of that, yeah. I mean, that's where so much of it's literally started. I mean, yeah. Esalen came out of Marin County, uh, holotropic breathing, um, Warner Earhart lived on a houseboat in Sausalito. You know, so much did, did actually start there. But, um, but anyway, part of my att- attraction to HeartMath when it was starting, I already knew the founder, was he wanted to develop a system that could be used by anybody, regardless of whether they were spiritually oriented or born-again Christians or atheists, that it would be a friendly facilitator for anybody. And, and to do that, he wanted to use science because he said, you know, science has become God. And so if we can prove through mainstream science, not uh, using equipment that no one else has validated except us, <laughs> right. okay, what good is that? Then you have the, the true believers that believe in you, but you know, the, the powers that be who run companies or military or government or schools or whatever, they're not going to buy into it. So he said, we're going to go straight uh, as straight as we can to be able to prove it to the skeptics. And then we're going to still do all the wild stuff like what if hearts are able to connect across the planet. And we've, there's been research that HeartMath's done on that. And there's a whole project that HeartMath has called the Global Coherence Initiative, which is all about the connecting of hearts all over the planet. But we, we wanted to make sure we did all the mainstream stuff. And there's been now 400 peer-reviewed studies on HeartMath. Really? 400 published wow. peer-reviewed studies. It's probably maybe even four, 500. I don't know the exact That's number. That's crazy to, to think that, yeah. I mean, even just getting one published 
paper is difficult. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. From what I understand, I've never tried to do it, but interviewing people and they're like, oh, I've been working on this for five years and they finally accepted it and are going to publish it kind of thing. You know, that's, that's a lot of work. Well, and part of that is you got to have, you got to use research methods that mainstream publications will accept if you don't. Yeah. Quite simple. Your study was not based on the protocols we deem. So we had to play that game, but we thought this is well worth it because, you know, I've, I've joked about it. You know, Stanford, I've taught there for 25 years now, taught heart math. I said, I could have fooled him pretty well for the first couple of years. <laughs> Just been a really good presenter. Yeah, he's really great. But at, at the end of the day, they would have knocked me for the science if the science was at all in doubt. You know, there's no yeah. way Stanford's going to let somebody that's spouting weird science at Stanford, of all, you know, especially. So I appreciated that a lot about heart math. In contrast to the energetic stuff, which we couldn't talk about nearly as much, in order to gain the foothold in the big organizations and the Kaisers of the world. And I mean, we did this one study that I was connected to. Uh, we actually got funding from US Congress to study test anxiety in high school kids because we believed that anxiety, which shows up in the heart rhythm pattern, it's very easy to see what anxiety looks like in anybody, a child or an adult. We believe that a lot of the problems with kids not doing well on tests had to do with anxiety. If their anxiety is high, we already knew from other research we, had, and, uh, we and others had done is if you're in an anxious state, there's noise in your system, right? I mean, think about when you're anxious. You say weird shit. Yeah. <laughs> you make yeah. stupid decisions, short, short-sighted decisions. You know, you, yeah. sometimes you're physically, you know, awkward as this well. This is the root of probably 98% of breakups. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. You say something I mean, and you can't... Yeah, I know I've observed within myself over the years that if I'm emotionally charged, I lose the capacity to think or communicate rationally. I mean, it's so obviously so. So I've learned to kind of, okay, I need to go self-regulate and then I can communicate with another human being about what we're yes. working with, you know? Yeah. But if you don't know that, I mean, God. You're just in it. Yeah. And thinking you're still really smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got them. And then later on, you're like, oh, why did I say that? Oh, and then you have yeah. to go make amends, you know? Yeah. And uh, sometimes the amends are not enough because what you've said cannot be unheard. Yeah, yeah. And they hold that against you and the relationship doesn't ever kind of regain itself sometimes. Yes, yeah, so all that matters. And So these, these high school kids taking tests and I'm assuming you, you found that they had a, a worse performance as a result of being stressed just because they know they're taking a test. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so we, we found it was a large study with hundreds of kids. Uh, there was a large control group of four or 500 and a, and a main group of six or, or 700 and found that there was an absolute correlation between the amount of anxiety kids had about taking tests and their score. And we, we were able to demonstrate that kids learning these heart variability self-regulation skills, as I was saying earlier, that was the main skill. Learn how to breathe slowly in and out. Imagine your heart's doing the breathing. Do that five seconds in, five seconds out. And then try to find something you appreciate. Your puppy, your grandpa, vanilla gelato, <laughs> whatever. And feel a, a positive feeling. And they would learn how to do this. And there was an absolute correlation between the reduction in test anxiety and the increase in scores above what the control group was able to do. So the control group who wasn't getting any training but taking the same test, they weren't improving their scores. But the kids who were anxious, who are now less anxious because they were learning how to self-regulate, 
Now their scores were going up significantly. So the point of the story was just that we made an, a strong effort to kind of prove and almost not totally unassailable because anything in science can still be you know, questioned by somebody who hasn't heard of it before. But we're, we're going very mainstream. But again, this in answering the question about kind of the energetics of all of it, um, I, I did this thing the other day in the workshop and I said, so um, there's this thing I'll do. I'll say, so everybody close your eyes, room full of 50 people, let's say. And just go ahead and point north. You got hands going here. Nobody has any idea where north is. They say, okay, great. Put your hands down. Now everybody point you. Just go ahead and point yourself. All hands go here. I've done this all over the world with thousands of different people and about 0.1% points somewhere other than the heart. Like wow. everybody points For those to the listening heart. and not watching, he's pointing at his heart. Yeah, so if the question is, point wow. to yourself. Wow. Virtually everybody just somehow decides to point here. They're not pointing at their mind. That's where the others are. Because oh, there's a very wow. small percentage that points somewhere in the head area. <laughs> oh, but it's wild. And it was the same happened on Friday. You know, the room full of people, yeah. athletic coaches and trainers. I said, okay, open your eyes, have a look. Who taught you when asked the question, who is, who is yourself, to point there? Nobody did. We just intuitively feel that. And so that's kind of, that was an element of what HeartMath assumed before we got started, really, was that there was this whole wisdom for millennia associated with the heart, a reverence for the heart, way past its fantastical pump nature, right? I use the term fantastical because there was a period during the I mean, 150 years ago or so where everything was getting dumbed down to, it's just a machine. The human body is an incredible machine. Yeah. The pump is fantastical. Yeah. Wow, awesome. But they completely wiped out any energetic possibility that, why was it called Richard the Lionhearted? Why was it Brave Heart? Why are there a thousand references to the heart in the Bible? Right, like a heartfelt message. A heartfelt message. Yeah. When you tell a kid who's nervous about going out on the field to play soccer, go ahead, just go out and play with your heart. Why do you say that? Does, why would you say that? You intuitively know that if they'll just put their heart into it, you don't even know what that means, but it just feels like, yeah, you got to do that. You got to put your heart in. And so we said, we're going to be a system of that, meaning people intuitively kind of know that. But then the mind says, oh, no, 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 don't, don't do that. And don't bring your heart into business because you'll, you'll get messed up if you do that. All right, peep this. If you'd like a shortcut to better sleep, more energy, and a calmer, more stable mood, then you want to be supplementing with magnesium on the daily. Here's why. About 75% of people, probably you guys listening included, are magnesium deficient. And this can lead to anxiety, irritability, wax sleep quality, and low energy. It can even contribute to foot and leg cramps while you sleep. Because magnesium is involved in more than 300 chemical processes inside your body. So things tend to fall apart if you don't get enough of it. So the obvious answer there is just take magnesium every day, right? Well, sort of. To experience these health benefits, you have to get the right kinds of magnesium. And it turns out there are seven unique forms of magnesium, and you got to get all of them to receive its many benefits. And this, my friends, is why I take Magnesium Breakthrough by Bi Optimizers. It's the only organic, full-spectrum magnesium supplement that contains all seven different forms. And it's your lucky day because Bi Optimizers, the makers of Magnesium Breakthrough, are offering some incredible bonus gifts for a limited time. 
Here's the madness they're up to. They're going to toss in free bottles of their powerful digestive enzymes called masszymes and their patented probiotic P3OM along with your magnesium breakthrough order. Pretty generous, I must say. So to score all that, visit magbreakthrough.com Luke and enter Luke 10 to activate this exclusive limited time offer. This offer is only available at this specific link, magbreakthrough.com Luke. And that code again is Luke 10. So heart math is all about the energetic side and being able to become more and more sensitive. And what part of what I learned over the many, many years of this practice of focusing around my heart and breathing gently and rhythmically and, and trying to put out positive energy to the world, to the event I'm going to do today, to this lady I'm talking to a lot, to, to whoever it is. Um, the more I would do that, the more I realized I'm becoming, and it wasn't overnight uh, change, but it was so noticeable over time was that I am becoming so much more sensitive to subtle things in my system, subtle thoughts, subtle things happening in my body, subtle um, waves of where did that, what was that wave I just felt? Where is that coming from? But then that was translating as increased sensitivity to others, far more intuitive senses of people and not like I'm now psychic or something, but just feeling like I'm just way more sensitive to other people's moods than I ever used to be. In my case, it's, and I think everybody, and the sphere behind heart math is, it's about being kinder. It's about being more compassionate. The, the home is where the heart is. Or the heart is where the home <laughs> is. Um, that goes along so much with that thing that I do of point to yourself. Yeah. And they, they all point here. This is home. I think this is why it, it kind of eluded me because of its simplicity, this, this idea, right? And just using it as an ongoing practice. In other words, like you could instruct someone uh, that wants to have more peace in their experience to just stay present, right? Or just be present, be in the now. But with what am I being in the now, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. What, like in the chair, do I, f because in, you know, in meditative practice, it's like, oh, feel the the seat, you know, the cushion under your butt and yes. feel like your hands sitting on your jeans and so on. And there's these kind of more superficial ways to just be in physical presence. But I think when it landed for me, that like, oh, there's a whole other level of presence when my focus is on, putting my presence into my my physical and and I guess energetic heart right to just be a heart-centered person it moved the um, goalpost right it's like oh that that gives me something um, a little more tangible and something that's subjectively just it's just more powerful the practice in and of itself rather than just kind of a nebulous general, oh, I'm just going to be more present and be in the moment. It's like, I'm going to be in the moment with the core of who and what I am, at least in a physical body, you know? That's kind of what yeah, the practice say. is sort of uh, growing into for me. But it's kind of, it's so simple that it seems like, what's that going to do, right? The pragmatic part of me is like, ah, oh, that sounds kind of, it sounds fluffy, you know? It's like, oh, be in your heart and, yeah, but it works. It does. But it works. That's the thing. It's the know? irony of the heart is that it, so many things of the heart sound so freaking cheesy. 
They just do. Right. You know, to the mind that wants to write it off as cheesy, yeah. which I've had that part of me. I'm a New Yorker. I'm, I'm as skeptical as they come, right? I'm, I'll write off a holistic treatment. I think, what's your evidence? You're telling me it's, it, it'll do 25 different things, but what's your... I'm happy you've had at least one person that's gone through that, but is yeah. there any actual evidence that that's really true? I can be as you're kind of hard-nosed and cutting you know, relative to things that don't, don't seem to stack up. But what you're talking about is that felt, that deeply embodied sense of this is what's going on now. And I, I feel like a part of it, I really, as a singer, of kind of mm, downshifting into just where the, the vibration of my soul is really coming from here. Not up here where I'm talking, where I'm thinking, or but it's like the soul of me is is here. And, and I think that's just been a, uh, a deep, ever-deepening practice for me there was this one period of my life where i had an interesting way i had i had to practice i was dating a a woman who was um in a her own kind of spiritual awakening and the way it presented in her was almost seizures and just shaking and wild shit and i had never really had that in all my journeys. I mean, I've had wild trips and different stuff I'd done in, over time, but this was like a regular occurrence <laughs> wow. with her. Like the thing in, in, at the Joe Dispenza thing I was yeah. describing. Or just, yeah, like yeah. be careful if we do a, go to a meditation together because she could be writhing on the floor. Right. <laughs> but I had a, a great love for her and there were times when I, we'd go off to different retreats and whatnot. And I realized that a lot of why I was going to that retreat was to be the anchor for her because she was going through all this shedding of lifetimes or or stuff from this life, whatever it was. And I knew how to stay in the heart. And so I could be holding her at night in bed and just my job is to anchor here and just stay in my heart and just radiate that essence of calm from from the center of me. And she just told on to me sometimes, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. And I wasn't saying anything. It wasn't the words that was helping her. It was just, I was stable. I wasn't flowing all over the place with her because that wouldn't have given her any any comfort. So I realized there was a period where I had to kind of learn it at another level through an important relationship that was going to take me out if I didn't learn how to kind of, uh, I love that expression heart is where the home is that's yeah. what i felt like i was doing with that those yeah. words exactly yeah i know stay here dude just stay here yeah you don't know what's going on you don't know why she's having to go through none of this is personal just stay in your in your heart just radiate love as strong as you possibly can and you can't radiate love just stay in your heart anyway well that's you know that's interesting because you know you're talking about um these events at which you train people how to self-regulate and, and mm-hmm. do the breathing and such, and um, you know, teaching these students and their test stores, scores improve and all of that. It's interesting that the practice as a whole can be so beneficial to oneself as the practitioner. But when it gets really interesting is when you see the magic that ensues when it starts to entrain the people with whom you're sharing mm. space right and w- when you're talking about that experience in that relationship yeah. uh, i've learned to do this in my relationship and also just even with kind of uh, peripheral relationships just out in the world dealing with other humans having their own things going on anytime there's a uh, potential for some stress 
in an interaction, I've become more habituated to just going back there. And it's yes. so interesting to see how the energetic of an interaction can be so quickly transmuted by me just doing that. So it's not only like I'm self-regulating yeah, yeah. myself, but there's a field that I'm, I don't know if I'm exactly. creating the field, but a field that I'm acknowledging maybe, right? And putting yeah. some attention on. And all of a sudden, something that could have been tumultuous and uh, full of conflict can just be sort of uh, disarmed. And it's just like, yeah. oh, we're, we're fine. You know, like when you're in the moment, yeah, yeah. say in a relationship, like someone expresses a feeling and you might get a little bit triggered by it. And if you were to respond with the same kind of level of intensity or energy, it could escalate in both of you now or not making any progress to, uh, yeah. toward a resolution. But if one of you can self-regulate and stay in that presence, I guess, you know, as we're speaking in this context in the heart, it's sort of like the other person catches it. It's sort of contagious in a way. And all of a sudden there's just a softness that starts to ensue. Even though you're not trying to control or manipulate the other person or get them to do this or that. It's just, you're literally just doing it for yourself, but it sort of has the tendency to spill out onto the, the field that you're sharing. And next thing you know, everyone's cool. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it really, it's like a superpower. It's really, yeah, yeah. really interesting. That's beautifully said, Luke. Well, and the field you're talking about is tangible and measurable and it is non-woo-woo. I'm not saying there aren't dimensions to it that yeah, are more yeah. quantum and, and other levels, but this is another one of the uh, gifts that HeartMath gave to the world in a sense is this idea that the heart uh, electrically produces a signal, electrical signal, the, the electrocardiogram, EKG, which is around 60 times stronger in amplitude than what the brain creates. Really? So the analogy I always used was like the heart is the main electrical and magnetic power plant of the body. The brain's like a substation. Not saying the brain is subservient to the heart, but sure. from that perspective, electromagnetism, hearts by far, is not even close. In fact, to even measure brain waves the little secret about how you even measure brain waves, you got to filter out the EKG because the EKG signal overwhelms the measuring of the EEG unless it's filtered out. Really? Because <laughs> it's the electrical signal. If the fact you can feel your pulse on your big toe or anywhere in your body, right. it's going everywhere. It's electromagnetic. And so, as we know from physics, anything that's producing electromagnetism, like the wires all through this house, create a field around where the electricity is conducted. A field is generated, yeah. an electromagnetic field. It's, again, it's not we, woo We've talked all. about that a lot on the show, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In this so, house, by the way, there are very few fields because everything's all shielded because <laughs> I'm like a huge tinfoil hat EMF advocate. Um, yeah, but we know the concept, yeah. Yes, so in the, in the case of the human body, there's a field created by the electromagnetic signal of the heart which with equipment called magnetometers, which are, it's also called a squid, which is actually found in every hospital. It's like a very mainstream medical device. The field generated by a human heart can be measured at least three feet away from the body, which means the signal of my heartbeat can be picked up by medical equipment several feet away. Wow. What HeartMath also showed, back to the heart rate variability, is that signal which is seemingly beating kind of evenly, but actually isn't. It's beating all over the place in a disordered pattern most of the time. It's not just a steady beat, beat, beat. No, it's bum, 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 bum,
It's always changing. That rhythm is what's actually going out into space. So the field being created is a uh, byproduct of the rhythmic pattern of the heart. So the field you're creating is a field filled with frustration if that's what you're feeling. Right. It's right. filled with anxiety if that's what you're feeling. It's filled with gratitude if that's what you're feeling. So this so, emanation of an electromagnetic field from the heart is not um, just a benign field. There are frequencies. Yes which we could call you know, a frequency of a different emotion that are actually carried by that field. I'm thinking of like a PEMF device, right? Where, wherein uh, like the amp coil is a great example where you have uh, some software on a tablet and yes. then you can set any number of different frequencies for whatever benefit uh, you're trying to achieve. And then those frequencies are amplified through, through an amp and carried mm -hmm. to this modified Tesla coil, essentially like what's on the back of a subwoofer, big magnet. Yeah. Magnetic field. I've actually tried this one time. Oh, you have? Yeah, oh, yeah. cool, cool. Yeah, I, I love this. We have it downstairs. Oh, it's yeah. a fascinating uh, technology. But essentially what you're describing is the human heart could be that magnet, right? Yeah. Um, that Tesla coil, for lack of a better um, analogy. And the freak, and we know that scientifically it's it's provable that this is going out three feet, right? Measurable. That measurable. Far. Uh, measurable. Who knows how far it's really going out? Right. Okay. Okay. But the technology allows us yes. to measure three feet. Well, that's that's interesting in and of itself. But this idea that carrier wave is transmitting and and maybe receiving different frequencies, and this yeah. this we experience just. Um, in everyday life is like, oh, there's a vibe. I get a bad vibe from that person or a good vibe. Or right. you walk in a room where someone just had an argument, there's exactly. a density to the energy, totally. right? I've used that example thousands of times in workshops, exactly what you just said. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's, a great, it's the point we're trying to make about so this. So we're, we're essentially then from our hearts, these energy generators, but it's, it's again, not just benign generic energy. It has a flavor. It has a... Exactly. Uh, exactly. Right? It exactly. Oh, wow. So when you're just being in a situation, as you were describing earlier, and trying to radiate whatever you're thinking, love or kindness or, or calm, the pattern of your heart is the amplifier of that feeling. The rhythmic pattern of the heart is the is the wave that carries it out into space. So it's it's no surprise at all, even from a standpoint of physics, that you'd be changing the dynamic. That's what HeartMath's right. been saying this. Wow, for thirty years. So you've been a secret ambassador for HeartMath without knowing <laughs> yeah, it. Totally. They may ask for royalties. I don't think. Well, it, it's hard earned um, understanding. Yeah. you know what I mean. Of just yeah, exactly. I mean, like many of us, uh, just born out of suffering. You know, and just like not wanting to suffer anymore and trying to figure this shit out. Exactly. How to be a human and and live with a greater sense of ease and joy. Yeah. What this part of the conversation is at the core of what HeartMath is really saying is that we have the power to not only regulate on a 3D level the dysfunctions going on in our bodies, that you know, the autonomic dysfunction of not enough parasympathetic, not enough vagus nerve, too much sympathetic, high energy accelerator pedal energy all the time going on. We have the power to self-regulate that. But in the process of doing that, we galvanize these electromagnetic resources that are otherwise somewhat in chaos. Right. If we're stressed out, they just are. Right. And so our brain can't function at its highest. It's not like we're... Or at all. In some or cases. at all in some <laughs> cases, yeah. Like, where was my brain when I was thinking that through? Um, so on, on the most basic 
as I say, 3D level by learning how to regulate that, the body is going to work better. It just kind of has to. But then on these other dimensions that are not as easy to measure, like the, the impact you can have on a conversation with others, you can't measure it in terms of electromagnetism necessarily, but you can sure feel that, wow, something just changed. Yeah. You know, I could feel lying there holding, holding Anna. You know, she could feel something that I was doing. And it didn't matter what she called it, or, but it was helping. You know, there, there was a, a grounding happening. Not just I was holding her, but I was holding her in a certain frequency of love and, and care. And the heart's an incredible system for that on all kinds of levels, not just physical. Wow. Uh, I'm going to reveal one of the secret sauces of conducting this podcast as I've been doing for seven years. And sometimes I think it's unconscious, but as I've seen how it works, I've become more deliberate. But a lot of what you're describing as a, as a practice, uh, I do when I'm sitting here with people. Mm. Like when you're talking... Because there's always a, you know, I'm kind of managing my notes and how are people going to perceive this? And what do I look okay on camera? I mean, there's a tendency to kind of go into the mind, right? But I really want to have a felt experience with the guest because I just enjoy the people with whom I Mm. have these conversations. But I also want to imbue the essence of the recording, like the actual audio file and the video file. I want to imbue it with transformative, uplifting, energy. I want to imbue it with love because I really, I love the people who are listening, (laughs) you know? And it's like, I don't have the biggest podcast in the world. I mean, everyone's always using Joe Rogan as the benchmark. And if you're not there, you're like a failure, you know? (laughs) Right, right. Thinking about, you know, I'm at 11 million downloads at seven years. And oh, that's, that's pretty good. And then you see someone like that and they're like 30 million per episode every day or something, you know? But I think for the, you know, the few people that do tune in they're they've got to be picking up on the energetics of it you know that's why they're tuning in that's that's my hope is that you know the heart that's shared between myself and and the guests like you that that they're picking up on that and that they're hopefully having an experience beyond just intellectually learning some new information or being entertained by a story or someone's persona or something but that there's there's something underneath what we're doing here that is really the point and so I think of it as, I've never really articulated this, but I'm just, it just came to me to sort of share. But what I'm doing is I'm paying attention to that field and I'm focusing on that and using the intellect as little as possible, just as a guide so that we kind of accomplish mm-hmm. what we set out to accomplish. But it's more of an upper layer <laughs> of what we're really doing here, which is like loving one another, right? <laughs> exactly. Really. Exactly. And, and then the people listening, exactly. you know, they feel that energy, just like you feel the energy of a certain song, you know, and it moves you to tears. Yeah. yeah. Why is it? It's a combination of the notes. Like mathematically, it makes no sense. It's in a key, and there are notes within that key, and you pick a variety of notes. It's like, what's that going to do for you? But you can listen to a Chopin piece and be brought to tears because there was mm. a inherent love, whether consciously or not, in the heart of the composer and the performers mm. that when it enters your field and you invite it in and you're present to it, it's transformative. It affects you. Something happens that you can't explain. It's, it's a magic of sorts. Yeah. So. Beautiful. Well, then I'll share my little secret. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> about it's so refreshing to hear you say this. Uh, I'm often on uh, a guest on 
on podcasts and, and I nearly always enjoy them because usually a good dynamic unfolds. But to hear how intentional you are in how you're creating that, I feel it as, you, as you're now articulating. I feel that from you. I feel this. I've thoroughly been enjoying this conversation. And when we talked for you know five minutes downstairs, I mean, it's not like we've had a lot of time talking with each yeah. other. And I was, as I was driving over here this morning, I was actually thinking, you know, they didn't ask me for anything before. <laughs> Usually people say, well, send me some things or even a bio or, or whatever. And I said, they don't think they asked me for anything. And sometimes they'll like send, like one guy recently was, he sent me 12 questions in advance and wanted to make sure I had thorough answers for all of them. Uh, really? And it was not a book I'd written some years ago. And I thought, I haven't even read that book for years. Now, now I've got to study my own book just to come prepared. Right. And I thought, I'm not prepared in that way at all today. And as, as I was coming over, should I brought this, that, and that? No, <laughs> of course not. Because I trust when I come to any situation that if I'm just in my heart and loving who I'm with, loving the, the interaction, that it's going to turn out exactly as it's supposed to exactly in the highest outcome it could because I'm putting that kind of positive energy in. And then if you got two people who are secretly doing that at the same time, (laughs) watch out. Yeah, you might just come out with something good. Well, there's something to be said for the spontaneity. Exactly. You know, that that I think is, there's an element of surprise in there that's fun. Like whenever I'm interviewed, uh, they'll be like, you know, oh, you want me to send you the questions? Like, no, I don't want to know because it's going to be too tempting for the intellect to get in and start to try to control and manage. And I don't want to be in the mind. The mind is, I mean, I love my mind and I, you know, I have a decent one. It's served me well when it's used appropriately, Mm -hmm. but if it's at the forefront, you're going to get a much more shallow experience. And when you're talking about creating any kind of art or content, you know, the mind is, is useful, but the heart is where the real, the real magic happens, you know? What do you think about the term, you know, thinking about these just common phrases that are part of our vernacular, um, brokenhearted. Oh, I got my heart broken. What do you think that means? Well, it's funny. I immediately go to the medical because there is now a named syndrome, broken heart syndrome, that is, shows actual physical things that happen to the heart when we've had a, a tremendous heartbreak. Um, it's not uncommon with elderly couples where the loss of one partner causes the other one to die fairly quickly because it's just, there's the connection has been there for so long that now to lose one, the other kind of doesn't want right, to like They're like conjoined twins yeah. of yeah, the heart. Kind of. Sharing a, you know, most sharing a, a unified system. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I think that's true for many. Um I think it's a deep question. I mean, all your questions are deep. We could talk several hours on each one of these, one of these questions. You know, I've experienced a broken heart. I've, I've felt in my life at different times that something that I thought was going to continue to unfold, a relationship usually, sometimes a business relationship, but mostly a personal relationship, that I thought was going to unfold in a certain way and was you know, a love that would never die. And then suddenly it's, it's changed dramatically or it's over. And the feeling, you know, can be there. You know, the the feeling of loss, the feeling of feeling hurt or abandoned can be in the actual heart itself. At least I have have sensed it that way. Not like I'm having a heart attack or not some physical pain so much, but the sense of grief or sadness can be felt there. And I think 
I think this is where the multidimensional aspect of the heart is so important because like in the chakra system, as you mentioned earlier, the heart is central, you know, three above, three below. And so in that system, it was viewed that the heart is sort of the, the distribution point for a lot of the important cosmic energies or divine energies. It kind of comes through the heart to then be distributed out. And when the heart itself, when we emotionally, and, and back to my parlor game of point to yourself and everybody point here, I keep wanting to remember your phrase, Heart is where the home is. Heart is where the home is. We feel home here. And so when suddenly that's threatened or feels like it's violated in some way because the love that gave us that feeling of home has is, is suddenly been withdrawn or even done it aggressively maybe. Uh, that's extremely painful. And so many people don't recover from that or, that, or they're so guarded after that. You know, I, I've, I've gone through a lot of loss. I've lost three family members to Alzheimer's. I've lost oh, wow. another family member. So one was a brother and both parents. I've lost another brother to Luke Eric's disease. So four fam immediate family members with neurological disease, all lost. So that's a sobering wow. <laughs> reality yeah, as I age. You know? mm -hmm. And um, But I guess why I brought that up was just that um, I think this dimension of being able to connect to our heart and heal our heart. I know even though I've gone through you know, a number of tragedies in my family uh, and losses in terms of relationships. Another deeper part of me said, don't shut down. Don't cut off as a result of this, which most people would do. I mean, you go through a lot of loss and you, if it's, you just feel so guarded because you're afraid something else is going to happen. So no, no, I won't engage with life. Yeah, almost. I mean, that's another phrase. Right? Someone after a heartbreak says, oh, I'm afraid to open my heart again. I'm afraid to open my heart again. And I intuitively knew, thanks to opening and breathing through the heart for so, so many hundreds of thousands of times for so many years, the heart was still, I still needed to keep activating. Yes, I was feeling pain. Yes, I was feeling sadness. Yes, I needed to grieve. Yes, all of that was true. And in fact, to heal the heart is not to just go try to go to love instantly. Good luck with that. I mean, when my mother finally passed after a, about a 10-year decline with Alzheimer's, you know, we'd had to say goodbye years earlier. She was gone years earlier, but still stayed alive. But now she was really gone. Like as a, as a child of an Alzheimer's parent, you, know, you never give up the possibility, as unconscious as it may be, that at some point they will wake up and say, Luke, how you doing? <laughs> you know, one day that she would say, Oh, hi, boo-boo. Yeah, that was her nickname for yeah. me when I was little. But that never happened. So then when they finally do pass, it's like, oh, it's really finality, right? And so there was a lot of grief, even though we had sort of lost her years earlier in a way, right? So I've, I found that through that experience and many others that I had to really acknowledge how I was feeling and allow myself to feel that. And only through that process could the strength that I had in my heart, which I developed through trying to be a loving man and try to be kind, try to do when you're in a situation, try to be, I've got to be the adult right now. <laughs> I've got to be the one, God damn it, I'm the one that's been learning and teaching this stuff for 30 years. I ought to be able to pull something off in the middle of an argument. So now it's my turn. And but honoring the fact that I get to do that. And so I guess there's just this, this dimension of, the heart's incredibly strong. The heart's always evolving. Our, our ability to sense 
an experience through the heart. Um, having gone through all that health stuff, let alone the other the loss that I had during during that time and since, I can feel the downside of life deeper than ever. But I am brought to tears by something magnificent in an, a leaf <laughs> or a sunset or a song that just suddenly is on my playlist. I'm thinking. Yes, thank you. For, for whatever reason, this song just came in. I'll give you a quick example. So I was going to drive down to Austin um, right before New Year's from New Jersey, stopping in Washington, D.C. to see my brother. And um, the last morning before I left to get in the car for 1,500-mile drive, um, I walked downstairs in this beautiful condo where they live, and all of a sudden this very fun, upbeat music starts playing pretty loud. I'm thinking, oh, Donna, my sister-in-law must be downstairs doing Peloton. <laughs> so she's got some you know, high energy meeting. Oh, this is kind of fun. And I'm kind of going around the kitchen and making some matcha tea. And then the music changes. And it's a whole other, totally different track. I think, is that Donna? What's going on? And then another song comes on. And then finally, I'm heading back upstairs and this Anita Baker song comes on. Now, Anita Baker, some of the audience don't know who that is. She was an 80s jazz singer who crossed over and had this pop album that was incredibly beautiful to me in the year that my daughter was um, before she was born. So in 1986, when my daughter was born in December, that year I'd fallen in love with this album of Anita Baker. And every day on my drive to the Spirulina company where I was vice president of marketing back in, the, in 1986. Oh, you're OG then, in Spirulina, huh? Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's funny. Smoothies green around my lips for years. Yeah, that was a long time ago. It sure was. That. So every day I'd be driving down to Santa Cruz uh, where the company was and singing along with this Anita Baker album. And one day while singing her song Rapture, which is this incredibly sweet, gorgeous song about the rapture she felt for someone. I felt the soul of my daughter who was not yet born. She was like four or five months before being born. And I felt the incredible love for the soul of my daughter. And I thought, this is a thing. I can feel her soul. She's not even close to being born yet. We knew it was going to be a girl. And every day, and I would have these, just these tearful sobbing while singing this album. So I'm about to leave DC to drive down to, down here to Austin. And suddenly an Anita Baker's song is playing in my brother's house. And I go up to my room and I'm look, looking down at my phone and my phone had been controlling this. I'd been in the house before. I had hooked into their sound system before. Oh, wow. So as soon as I walked downstairs, unbeknownst to me, my phone turns on the sound system. And the fourth song was an Anita Baker song. And as soon as I experienced that, I thought, Anita Baker, that album was incredibly powerful before the birth of my daughter. The next three days, I sang with the Anita Baker album for 1,500 miles till my voice was practically raw. Wow. And there were so many times I was brought to tears while singing, I could not sing a portion because it was just so so gorgeous and so meaningful and so powerful. And I'm saying all this long story because I feel the upside so much more deeply than ever. I mean, I've always been a pretty loving, pretty caring guy, I thought. But now it's at a whole nother level of a tiny thing, just a moment of seeing vulnerability on the face of someone can like, oh, make me feel like, oh my God, such a beautiful soul this is. So, but I know, had I not allowed myself to feel the moments of darkness and grief and 
what am I doing? What is going on? Then depression even, not clinically depressed. I'm not exaggerating it, but still feeling like what could I have also then felt like these the moments of the the bliss, the bliss is not the right word. It sounds like some rapture. Sp- space down. Rapture's the rapture is a good word. The rapture is a great <laughs> you know, word. You know, very appropriate. I identify word. with that word. Yeah. I've got a hot tip here for affordable sauna therapy. You heard it right. Check this out. If you want to burn more calories, just sitting on your ass, detoxify your body, ease stress, and unwind, then listen up, my friends. Bond Charge is a holistic wellness brand with a huge range of evidence-based products to optimize your life big time. From blue light glasses and red light therapy to EMF management and circadian-friendly lighting, Bond Charge products help you naturally address the issues of our modern-day way of life effortlessly and with maximum impact. And my favorite new product from Bond Charge is their infrared sauna blanket. Now I love this thing because it's portable and much more budget-friendly than a traditional sauna. Because I get messages somewhat frequently from listeners struggling to afford many of the exotic, high-tech modalities we discuss here on the show. Well, if that's you, this is definitely a great option. The sauna blanket raises your heart rate to that of physical exercise, so it actually burns calories while you relax. You can burn up to 600 calories in just one session. It's nuts. And of course, sweating also helps flush out heavy metals and other toxins, which are so prevalent in our modern world. I love the sauna blanket for road trips and quick sweat sessions at home. It heats up really fast and your head sticks out so your head doesn't get hot. So you just sweat like crazy very quickly. Plus, it's extremely low EMF, which is something I'm always looking for. If you're ready to grab one of these Bond Charge sauna blankets, here's what you do. Go to bondcharge.com and use the coupon code LIFESTYLIST to save yourself a cool 15%. That's B-O-N-C-H-A-R-G-E, bondcharge.com. And again, that code is Lifestylist. Well, that, you know, what you just described brings to mind, uh, I don't even remember what the heartbreak was, because like for many of us, there have been so many, you can't even keep track. But at one point, a teacher of mine said to me, it must have been after a breakup or something. He said, Luke, a broken heart is an open heart. Hmm. You know, just those things that uh, get delivered to us throughout our lives. And I'm hmm. sure there are many that I forgot, right? That were profound and, and simple, uh, but yet potent. But that one, that one stuck with me. And I think what you just described is really the essence of that, right? Is that when we kind of surrender into the broken heart, that it, it opens up our capacity for feeling as a whole, yes. right? And there's a real juice in life of knowing that, that we're someone who can feel deeply and experience life in its fullest. You know, a broken heart is an open heart. There's something that does. That's beautiful. It's like the humbling effect of just feeling your humanity and, and all of the melodramas yeah. that we experience, right? There's a, a softening and a humbling uh, in that experience, mm-hmm. you know, which is really is really sweet. And thank God that that's the case, right? Because in the, <laughs> if we if we kind of adopt that principle, right, then in those moments of heartbreak, we know that there's it becomes grist for the mill, right? There's like a purpose to our suffering because we know if we if we can feel it deeply and we can allow it in and we can process it and not run and hide and numb, that we're going to build a, a strength and a, and a fortitude 
in our spirit that's going to allow us to keep going through those experiences and keep expanding our capacity to feel and to be able to feel the rapture and drive down south hearing Anita Baker and just, I mean, I have these experiences all the time. You know, I'm a really kind of feeling-based person, you Mm -hmm. know, and there's, happens a lot with my wife. I'll just be sitting there and nothing's happening and I just look at her and, you know, through practice, just appreciate her. Mm. Yeah. And it's it's such a beautiful experience. I'm sure it feels nice for her probably too, but it's like literally all I'm doing is just acknowledging what's present. Mm. Yeah. And just opening my eyes a little wider, mm. opening my heart and just going, oh my God, what a magnificent person and what a gift in mm. my life, you mm. know? And it's, Think about all the things that are present in our day-to-day lives that we kind of just become habituated to and don't really notice. Exactly. But have the capacity for that depth of gratitude that can bring us to tears. You know, but I don't I don't know that I would have that capacity had my heart not just been broken over and over and over again, starting, you know, at I don't know, five, six years old in my case, you know. The hurt that we experience. And for me, I ran and and numbed and hid from that hurt for so long. And the interesting thing about that tendency, at least in my case, is that most of the things, you know, speaking of uh, just a life of addiction and this kind of stuff that I did to try to evade feeling that heartbreak, uh, actually compounded the heartbreak with more Mm self-harm and more harm to others that resulted in guilt and shame as a result of my behavior. You know, so there, there kind of is no way to wiggle out of the heartbreak because even if we run from it, it has the compounding effect of actually causing more harm. Do you agree or what's, what's your take on that? Yeah, it's, um... it's... In other words, like what I'm trying to say is like, if you don't feel it now and, and you just suppress or repress it, then eventually it's going to bubble to the surface and some seemingly unrelated way and probably hurt even more yeah Yeah, it's kind of like take your lumps and just sit with it and be with it the best chance of of loosening its grip is to sit with it and be with it i think this is where the the work of heart math and dr joe is very profound because you look at all the experiences that you've had that were traumatic when you were young all the years of numbing but then then still heartbreak the trauma that you experience is stored in the body. It just is. I mean, that's biochemically true. It's not like a psychological concept. Well, we store trauma. You know, okay, good. That, but physiologically, we know the mechanisms of how that happens. It's in the autonomic nervous system. It's, it's getting stored. The subconscious mind. First time I ever heard this expression was from Joe. Um, that the autonomic nervous system is our subconscious mind. That the system that manages all the processes in our body, including the storage of memory, is controlled by a subconscious part of our mind. We're not thinking about all the autonomic system does. It's automatic. It just does stuff, including the storage of memories. And the reason that we store memories is to prevent future harm. Yeah, it's nature's built-in defense system, Defense right? system. So yeah. in case something similar happens in the future, yeah. you'll know what to do. You'll, right. you'll kill it or you'll yeah. fight it or you'll run from it. You'll do something. Yeah. But that storage is taking up energetic resources in our body as proven by the fact that something can set off an old trauma that's not completely unrelated to the trauma. So there was a lot of energy in there that suddenly bursts out, right? So I think that's the thing with, with heartbreak. You can try to numb it. You can try to for, 
forget about it. You can try to, you can tell yourself, I've moved on. Good for you, son. <laughs> but have you really, have you really moved on from the trauma that was stored? Because that's what happens in the body. It just is. So I think that's where these, where there's Dr. Joe's meditation techniques or the heart math work of, of coherence that we have to allow ourselves to feel what we have felt. But if we only do that, the danger is we're going to wallow. We're going to get stuck because if you're just feeling it, that's what happened. That can easily happen. You can get so hopeless, so feeling victimized, how unfair life is, feeling so abandoned, whatever the version may be. And where does the antidote come from? <laughs> where does the strength come from? And that's where I think I've, from, in my own case, I've found that, thank God, I've learned to be kind more than not. Thank God I've learned to be compassionate sooner <laughs> than to just always judge somebody because they're acting in a way that seems unfriendly to me. Well, do you have any idea what their life is like? No, what's your point? <laughs> well, then you maybe ought to be compassionate because you have no idea what you inadvertently may have just triggered in them that has nothing to do with you. And now you're reacting. So um, I think it's it's the humbling nature of of life to be able to deeply experience what the pain has been, but to also recognize, and this takes some faith, not necessarily faith in God, but faith in yourself at least, that to keep on going, to keep on trying to be positive when it feels so hard. I know, I know you've been there yeah, because yeah, you, you yeah. have to have been there and I know I have been there. Yeah, it, well, uh, there's something to be said in there for uh, this phenomenon of spiritual bypassing, mm-hmm. right? I think that um, you know many humans uh, experience suffering and then look for a deeper answer, right? And so mm-hmm. they start exploring spirituality it's a tricky one in there because it's the love and light thing, right? It's like, oh, it's yeah. all good. I'm just, it's kind of like this, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like, a, um, I don't know. It's like a, a false sense of joy. That it's like mm-hmm. trying to trick oneself into thinking it's, we're all good. Everything's cool. I'm becoming spiritual, but there's still that whole bucket full of pain that hasn't really been brought to the surface and processed. You know, and then you're mm-hmm. you're kind of a sitting duck for another similar situation, as you described, how the nervous right. system, subconscious, hangs onto this stuff, and then you find yourself in another tailspin, and meanwhile you're going, "What? I've been being spiritual? <laughs> what the hell?" You know. Yeah. But it really sometimes it does. I think take the boots on the ground. You know, the scrappy work of just getting in there and getting <laughs> dirty and like just feeling it all. But you you raise another interesting point there, and that is, um kind of the risk of getting caught in the morass of self-pity and wallowing in the pain. It's like, I don't know exactly where the the balance is there. There's probably not like a, well, there's a three-step process, do this and it works every time. It's so individual and so dynamic and, exactly. you yeah. know, but it's worth stating, you know, that those are different possibilities, right? Different maybe um, pitfalls that one can fall into. And in the latter, do you think in the terms of wallowing and self-pity, just kind of getting caught in the suffering rather than feeling it for a period and thinking, well, I'm, you know, I think I'm empty. I think we've processed and we're ready to open our heart to life and move on. Uh, where do you think the act of service, because you mentioned being kind and compassionate to people, where do you think like the direct act of service plays a role in getting one out of that self-obsession? 
Because when you're, you know, depressed, you're, you're thinking about yourself and your problems and your thoughts and your feelings. You know, we tend to just silo ourselves into our own internal experience and kind of get trapped there. Do you think service is a, a gateway to getting out of self and starting to, uh, you know, express and move through that in a healthy way? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I think so many times, um, I mean, I've had certain financial setbacks, for example, at times. And so then, of course, the energy is like, I got to recoup. And so a lot of mostly mind-based energy starts to come into what can I do to kind of um, right the ship quick, you know, or whatever. And, and the counterintuitive thing to do is to, at that moment, say, no, instead, I'm going to just see if I can serve this person right now. So a recent example was I had this lady who I'm connected to on LinkedIn. We, I don't know how long we've been connected, but a year, maybe more, who reached out to me. She's a professor of psychology in Iran looking for a research position in the United States. As I sat there talking and we, we did a Zoom call, I thought, what is it like to be a researcher in a university in Iran as a woman right now. I thought, oh my freaking God, what would it be like right now? I mean, with the, the war on women that's going on, I mean, killing of women for going outside the bonds of what they're expected to do. So I just kind of humbly would listen to her and she, was, she had reached out to me. She saw there was like university references on my, on my profile, teaching at Stanford, uh, et cetera. And she hoped that I could help her. And I thought, this is an interesting challenge because I have connections and maybe I can. But um, boy, this is, this is definitely a freebie. I mean, there's all that kind of head stuff going on that was kind of <laughs> slowing me down initially. Hey, you're like, I got to focus on recouping my own stuff here. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm trying to help this Iranian professor get a research position in a U.S. university. Let me see what I can do. And sure enough, it looks like she's going to get over here <laughs> through one of my connections. So I, I had enough presence of mind to realize in that moment that whether I can help her or not, this vulnerable heart has reached out to me hoping that I might be able to help. So I need to at least make some effort. I, I do know people that maybe could help. So there was a great fulfillment in even making the effort and putting out the connections and, and seeing the response that came back. I knew she would be heartened by that because these were all people that were friends of mine that I knew would would take seriously anything that I was asking them for help with, even if they couldn't physically guarantee her a position at their university. So I, I did it, and it was very satisfying. And then it looks like she is actually going to get a position to come over to Washington, D.C. Wow. But it was a great example of, of, in the moment, thinking that whether I'm successful or not, I need to respond to the heart of this person right now. I can't respond to every single person that wants my help. I get weird stuff people ask me on Instagram, can you pay, pay for my poor brother? And they send me a picture and I think, <laughs> yeah. who knows what this is. Yeah. But I talked to her and I saw her CV and I could tell she's a highly intelligent person. Her English is quite good. And, you know, this was not a fake. This was all completely real. And, and so if there's any way I can serve this heart that was reaching out, not desperate because she's more refined than that, but still realize she could she could contribute so much more if she was not stuck in her, her current situation so i found many times in my life that even when things are desperate and the mind would say 
dude, you got to you got to take care of your own house first before you start cleaning up other people's houses. Well, in general, that's true. <laughs> but also, there are those times where life is asking you to serve and do it. Is this next part of the story where you won the lottery uh, just randomly after helping? Oh, <laughs> no. Had a big windfall. That would have been cool. An inheritance suddenly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I think there, there definitely is something to be said for... Um, just getting out of yourself, you know? I mean, I think a lot of the things that keep us stuck are just going around and around and ruminating and getting so fixated on our problems and solving them that self-centeredness can often keep us trapped. And sometimes it is just like, okay, I need to just get out of my own head here for a minute and just focus on someone else. You know, you think of the uh, phenomenon of therapists and psychoanalysts that whose personal lives are a total shit show but they can yeah because they're yeah. you know they derive pleasure and a sense of purpose from helping these other people unravel all of their problems and meanwhile they're not doing it for themselves you know so there's like kind of a um a dysfunctional side of it maybe if you use it as an escape to help other people but there is a huge key i think in that you know when you find yourself just thinking about yourself too much. I learned this in um, addiction recovery. You know, it was pretty early on. I realized if I was really in a stuck spot that the fastest way out of that was to think about someone else's mm -hmm. welfare mm -hmm. and to just do something really inconvenient to help someone else, you know, pick a kid up and out and, you know, an hour away and take them to a meeting or something like that, you know, it's just, wow, I, I felt like shit all day today. What happened? I go, literally all I did is just, kind of inconvenience myself slightly to help someone else it's like yeah. oh i'm out of it it's like magic you know it's really it's really a beautiful principle uh so you work with uh corporations as well you know training uh you know training people how to use this sort of heart modality to uh you know improve their bottom line and to become more successful as a company how does this you know, for someone listening who's kind of more pragmatic and not so touchy-feely, uh, say someone that does own a business or has a career about which they're very serious and, you know, wants to make money and be successful and, and grow and scale and all those things, how does this model apply to that? Well, you know, there are many facets, I think, in, in organizations where there's a corporation that's thinking all, always about profits. Um, there's enough sophistication these days that, generates that most reliably are happy customers. And why are customers happy? It's usually not just because of the product, but it's how they've been treated by the company that sold them the product. I mean, Apple remains a model for all this kind of stuff, right? In general, they're they're exceptional at the customer experience. I mean, you, you look at the freaking packaging. You can't wait to see the box, let alone open it, let alone whatever is inside it. It's like the box is so good. But there's a sense of care. There's a sense of refinement. And so I think, I think that's a great example of, does Apple talk about love all the time? Well, Steve Jobs is pretty much a love guy as much as he was about design and, and caring about the customer. But I think whether it's a for-profit business needing to, to be focused on, as I was saying earlier, to get the highest profit business, you have to have the most 
happy customers because they are going to continue to talk about you as your marketing costs go down. Your uh, customer retention is high and so they keep buying from you and so they're highly profitable compared to the new customers you have to acquire and how expensive that is and, and all the things you may have to do in your business to generate the customers. So love at every step of the way actually it makes a lot of sense because the more everyone that that customer touches in your organization is uh, the more that customer is satisfied and, and fulfilled and thinking that was great. I, I presented a bad energy today. I was frustrated with your product and you handled it great. Thank you for that. I feel way better about you and the company and uh, as a result of that. So to me, that's a, a very practical thought is that what can sound very soft, very fluffy, these two guys, these warm-hearted guys talking all about love today. We do business with people that we love. Um, and we go to places over and over again because there's something about the vibe of the place that we love. And there's certain products that we keep buying because we love them. <laughs> these are not words we are afraid of using right. in regards to all this. Right. And I've given many a talk when I've said to the audience, said, how is it okay for a 350 pound, six foot seven, you know, defensive lineman to just get, come off having won the Super Bowl or won the, a game and just raved about my guys played with so much heart that I love my guys. I do anything for my guys. I love them. I love every one of you. You know, totally testosterone driven humans, completely comfortable talking about love. And yet in a business context, don't go there. Don't go, don't go, the, that's soft, that's mushy. That's for girls. You, know, you, don't, you don't do that. And it, it, to me, it's, it's crazy at this age, this day and age, because especially in the last few years where everything's gotten so polarized and we're so suspicious of everybody for whatever reasons, you know, there's a need to connect more than ever. And a business has got to be onto that. You know, in, in the case of heart math, we recognize that here we are talking about a concept called coherence. We're saying if you can learn how to regulate your emotions, put out more love, be more appreciative, recognize what you're feeling internally, a result of that is that your body is going to be more coherent. Your heart and brain are going to be more coherent. You're going to think more clearly. A lot of good stuff can happen to you. We also realize that's our message going to the world. If we are not practicing that in ways that are tangible to whoever is interacting with us, people will sense this is... Snake well. So we were constantly practicing. How can we get better at being coherent ourselves? How can we get better at treating the customer always with respect, always with care? How can we do that with each other in meetings? And when I was CEO for, uh, for 11 years, three years, the last three years I was CEO, we were named in the top 50 Bay Area workplaces. And that was our employees voting on, anonymously voting on how the company treated them. Out of how many companies approximately, do you know? Hundreds. I don't know, yeah. I don't know how many were yeah. hundreds. I mean, this <laughs> yeah. is inclusive of the Silicon Bay Valley yeah, and yeah. all that, right? So It was quite an honor. But it, wow. again, it was, we said, this is practical. To act in coherent ways, to be loving to the shipping <laughs> people, to treat them with respect. So it doesn't have to be just soft, oh, I love you, shipper. No, it's like, be respectful to them. Be humble that you have no idea what their life is like. So treat them with the utmost respect. They could be a saint in this place. They could be more of a saint than anybody else in here. And you're judging them as a shipper. So we just said that that's how we're going to be with each other as best we can. We weren't perfect. We had our gaps, but 
high level, high percentage of the time. And I'm, I'm, you know, having been CEO during that period, I felt like that was something that mattered to me that, you know, I felt like we're an easy target because we're talking all about love and we're trying to prove it with science. Like, oh, you, <laughs> right. you clever science, California people. Okay, we're on to you. Right, right. <laughs> but we got to act it this way. It's got to actually be how we behave. And so many people over the years would say, it's, it's so fun interacting with you guys. You, you guys are such a good company. Everybody is so friendly and warm hearted. So, yeah, it's genuine. Doesn't mean we're not stressed. Doesn't mean we don't have our months where we have, how are we going to pay salaries this month? We've had all of that. But we never lost sight of it's still about being as respectful and as kind, as compassionate as we possibly can be. And I would argue that that energy is needed more than ever in the world. Oh my God. More than ever. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting uh, to observe culturally right now. Um, you know, there's this huge divide, right, in our culture, I think, especially in the past three years. And on one hand, I guess it's just kind of duality playing out. But on one hand, you have things that are pretty dark and scary coming to light, you know, in terms of just the organizing bodies that run all of these different aspects of our society right mm-hmm. you know kind of the emperor's clothes are falling off and then it's mm-hmm. just the media and just everything it's just like what i mean i never trusted the government anyway because i'm kind of a you know a rebel at heart from way back so it wasn't really news to me but you're seeing kind of the um just the darkness and the erosion of of so many uh, cultural norms and yet at the same time you have these massive corporations that have a meditation room and invite guys like you in to teach about love and heart coherence. And I see on social media all these really young people who are doing meditation and getting into all these esoteric practices and you know things. Um, even just, I remember when The Power of Now came out, that book, it was revelatory to me. And there was no one around my age, you know, maybe I was in my early 30s or something, that I could talk to about that. Mm, except right. my little inner circle of spiritual seekers and stuff. Mm-hmm. And now this is just like, everyone knows this stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's, it's so prevalent. So, on some level, yeah. Yeah, I mean, not everyone, but, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like... Um, the spirituality as a whole, mindfulness, meditation, yoga, all of this stuff is yeah. much more pervasive, at much least more. in Western culture, than it's, than it's ever been. So it's mm-hmm. like, it's that classic, um, it was the best of times, it's the worst of times, you know? Yeah. It's, like, it's like everything is just ramped up on, on kind of both sides of the scale. It's a really interesting time to be alive in that way. Because on one day I wake up and I go, ah, oh, man, things are better than ever. Everyone's waking up. I live in Austin, you know? There's these huge kind of a new agey spiritual community here, people doing great work. And then, you know, I turn on my phone and go on Twitter. I'm like, oh my God, we're going into World War III. You know, it's just like, it's so full on right now. It's, it's a really interesting, really interesting time to be a human. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, it, it is interesting. And I have a little longer perspective just because I'm older. Sure, sure. But yeah, I mean, to, to see how mainstream things like meditation rooms and mindfulness I mean, the average person, the CEO of the university where I do some work currently, used the term mindful the other day just as part of a strategy meeting. Like, we need to be mindful. I thought that did not <laughs> used to happen. Right. And, he, and he's not even a meditator. But even just the thought of being mindful is, has become extremely mainstream. 
And it's, it's reassuring on the one hand that so many people are recognizing there's another side to life that I need to learn about and it's about myself and how to truly grow as from within. And I think that's one of the silver linings of the pandemic was people being thrown back on themselves and at the same time wanting to blame whoever <laughs> was the, the target yeah. of the day. And at the same time realizing, wait a minute, <laughs> what could I be doing differently too? Whether it's my immune system, whether it's, how I treat other people, whether it's, man, I'm judging everybody that's not going along with my particular train of thought here. So I think it's overall a good thing. But, you know, I think energetically speaking in the world, there's, there is more upheaval going on than ever. I mean, that's probably verifiable somehow statistically. Maybe there aren't more actual wars going on than ever because there are people that study that. Like, well, actually, there's fewer wars on the planet than... Right, right, Okay, right. great. That doesn't make it feel any safer right. because that's not think it's only war that's going to get us. Oh, yeah, climate change. Yeah. You know, and there, well, there's also different, um, you know, different types of wars too, right? Well, exactly. Now, now we're kind of in a uh, an information war. You know, it's a, it's a bit more... Um, ambiguous right? right it's just there's just confusion and division and this polarity between left yeah. and right and it's just there's definitely um seeming to me but i'm kind of conspiratorial there seems to be an orchestration of chaos going on right so it's not necessarily the military industrial complex war doing machine it. i mean yeah, they're yeah. still doing their thing too but sure. You know, we're, I'm not expecting a, a literal World War III. It's like economic warfare and cultural warfare. Yeah, yeah. Kind of just the erosion of traditional values, at least in the West and things like that. And just, yeah, it's just, it's so interesting. Let's take a moment to explore one of the coolest innovations I've come across in my endless search for ways to improve our quality of life and vitality. It's a quantum energy streaming service called Quantum Upgrade. Through years of research and innovation, they've created one of the world's most accessible forms of quantum energy. And when you subscribe to their service, Quantum Upgrade transmits this energy into your home, car, or even onto your phone. Let's face it, many of us are stuck in patterns we repeat daily. We get up, we get dressed, we go to work. And this routine takes a lot of energy and at times leaves little room for personal growth. Well, it's widely known that quantum energy supports change and transformation. Your life can change dramatically when you access the quantum energy surrounding us. I personally love this service and often use its boosting feature at specific times when I need extra support with my mood and energy. Now, as far out as the realm of quantum energy is, rest assured that Quantum Upgrade has been tested and studied by independent institutes, doctors, and labs with phenomenal results in placebo-controlled double-blind studies, which can be easily viewed right on their website. So do yourself a favor and try this service out for free for 15 days. Just hop over to quantumupgrade.io and enter the code LUKE15 to activate your free trial. Again, that's quantumupgrade.io. That said... Uh do you have an optimistic point of view on where things are headed as as an American man? <laughs> that's a that's a great question. Um, you know, I think there's going to be a lot more turmoil and chaos before it gets obviously better. I mean, I'm influenced by other people that have said similar things that it, you know, kind of looking into the future, it looks like it's based on 
how certain things, systems are, are breaking down at, or at breaking points, that there's going to be certain things that just will get worse, like climate things. Or is this kind of already happening? But I think there is absolutely some orchestration going on. There's no doubt in my mind that um, there's all kinds of factions that are trying to cause disruption to gain more power. So all that's happening too. And to me, it's all part of the upheaval of humanity that's going on. And so I keep coming back to where we've talked about since, since the beginning of the, the chat of uh, the heart is where the home is. And I keep coming back for myself to whatever happens. And I don't want to spend too much time playing out all the scenarios because it's completely freaking overwhelming <laughs> yeah. just to think about the climate issue. And that's forgetting about all the other cultural issues. That one thing you know, is getting ever more prevalent. Um, it's too overwhelming. So what can I do in this moment? Radiate as much compassion and love to the world as I possibly can. As woo-woo as that sounds, that, as new as that sounds, what can I do in this moment? Energetically, at least for the three feet around me that can be measured, <laughs> I can affect that. And maybe I can affect 10 feet. And maybe I can affect someone who's listening to this to say, that I can do. I can breathe through my heart and I can be solid in caring about people who need care. And God knows there's a lot right now in this moment that need more care from someone and more compassion from someone and more hope from someone. So if I can give anything to somebody, I want to do that. So that's what I'm beautiful the best I can. I mean, that's it. I can't see any other solution because the macro is so beyond our control as individuals, right? But exactly. let's say we conclude this conversation today and you pull out of the driveway and you could go, but you let the other guy pass. And it gives that person a little warmth in their heart. And then they go to the gas station and someone's a little impatient you know, at the cash register and they, they cut them some slack and so on and so on. And then the cash register picks their kid up from school and their kid got bad grades and they have some leniency there and so on and so on, right? You know, there's a, I don't know if virality is the right word, but there's a contagion element to yeah, yeah. that energy, just like there's a contagion um, element to, um, you know, riots and people getting together and, and yeah. a city just burning down because everyone kind of catches, catches it, right? It. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So it's a similar thing. And it reminds me of those experiments they've done where they have a, a group of people meditate at a certain time you know, in a city or about a city, and then the crime rate goes down for the period in which they're meditating. I can't think of the specific one, but I know there's yeah. been a few that have been yeah. validated like that. Right. I'm sure you guys have, you know, uh, done that kind of research or at least aware of it. So it's it's not woo-woo. It's actually provable, you know, at least just by observation, if nothing else. And in my, I know in my own life, if I'm going out into the world with a shitty attitude, I find that almost everyone I interact with irritates the hell out of me. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like you yeah. can go out into the same world with a certain perspective or bring in a certain energy and you just find, God, everyone's impatient and irritating and just nothing's going my way. And it's like that Murphy's Law thing will play out, but it, it yeah. all originated from the, um, what I'm projecting. You know, it's that yeah. like, oh, create your own reality kind of thing, which sounds trite, but it, it's actually just true. It's just the way things work. So I like your perspective. Don't, you know, I'm going to summarize what you said is like, 
don't bother trying to change the world, just change your own experience of it. And it's probably the most each individual can contribute, really. Yeah. And have humility. I mean, again, back to the compassion thing. Even the people who seem to be the manipulators or, or are, I still don't know what they're like, <laughs> how they were abused, what happened in their totally. life that brought them to this. They are still a human. They're still, in, from a certain perspective, a child of God, just like I am. Yeah. As distorted as they may be, as off track as they may be, as acting irrationally or inhumanly or awfully as, as they may be, they are still alive. And that doesn't mean they, they no longer have any value whatsoever. How many people have made complete changes? You've talked about your own yeah. incredible change. I mean, you weren't a despot, I don't, I don't think. <laughs> but it's not, that, it's not that people are incapable of that amount of change. They are, as, as we see some of the greatest heroes are those who have been, I mean, I, I often think about Nelson Mandela. I share a birthday with him. I'm not the same age, but same birthday. And, uh, you know, as a, he, he was an aggressive he was a boxer, right? Very, oh, I didn't know that. As a kid, and that was part of what got him into jail. I mean, yes, he was protesting the apartheid government, but he was also very aggressive and was an actual boxer. And it was 25 years in prison and a lot of soul searching and a lot of kind of internal awakening that showed him there had to be a whole nother approach to life. And it was thanks to him that the whole reconciliation movement even happened in South Africa, where instead of, all the blacks suddenly being in control and lynching all the whites for all they'd done for hundreds of years. There were these sessions all over the country for years to try to reconcile, to try to bring the people together who had been the oppressors were being invited into these sessions, not as like in communist China being beaten by the, right. by the new rulers. Right, right. It was, how are we going to reconcile as a country? Wow, Cause we won't, I didn't know that. we won't go on as a country if we don't do that because all of us, we're, the majority is now in power and you can't have oppressed us this long <laughs> without some serious retribution. And yet our leader is saying we have to have reconciliation now. Wow, And Nelson powerful. Mandela is one of the most, to me, one of the most magnificent uh, humans ever because of being able to do that. I mean, when he walked out, the famous stories about him walking out of prison, he forgave all the jailers, all the, all the guards. And I actually went to, I visited the prison where he was for 25 years. Really? It's now a kind of museum. Really? Huh? And the, the tour guide we had had been in the prison with him no at the same way. time. And they talked about how Mandela had such a powerful presence that there was always a guard kind of assigned to him. And after a while, they would all kind of start to be on his side. <laughs> and so at a certain point, they'd have to up. Okay, that guy's getting too friendly with Mandela now. <laughs> get him out of there. We got to get a, a hard-nosed wow. uh, Afrikaner in, in charge again because wow. he would just be kind to them and he would be forgiving. And he could have easily not been that way. <laughs> he was in prison yeah. and all his people were in prison and his nation was in, in tatters, controlled by a tiny elite that wanted to do everything. And, and yet he could find forgiveness and he could find in, in his heart. And so that spread through a nation it didn't solve all its problems. It still had to grow up because it didn't know how to act in that way without him. So they were all terrified. I was there right before he passed and they were, there was a lot of fear because when he's really not with us anymore, how are we going to manage this? It's like as long as he was there, even when he was out of power, he was still this father figure of the nation of we can be peaceful together. We are brothers. 
whatever has happened in the past. And to be able to say that to your oppressor who had done unspeakable things to your people for hundreds of years was an incredible act of courage to do that. So if he was doing that, we have the same birthday. <laughs> I got to... You got to step up. You have a benchmark. Exactly. That's beautiful. Well, that is a, an excellent segue into my final question. And you might have just given me the, the one of three, but uh, who are three teachers or teachings that have influenced your life that you'd like to share with us? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think of Nelson Mandela as a teacher per se, but I've, I've read a lot about him. I've, I've studied his things. And there's something about just his, his beingness as a, as a man, as a leader. And even before he was physically a leader, how he was in the world that is incredible inspiration uh, to me. And in a similar vein, Martin Luther King, um, a man that stood up for his principles without being shy ever, very authentic and very real. And always his message was the same. We have to do this without violence against one another, emotional violence or physical violence. We have to do this with love to each other. And yet he was saying that as an oppressed, as someone, as a part of a race that had been oppressed. So to be able to go higher and be able to speak from that standpoint as somebody uh, was incredibly powerful. And uh, I'll, say, I'll say Joe Dispenza because he's a good friend. I know him well. And, um, but his commitment to seeing humanity advance and all the ways I've seen him evolve and grow. You know, there are a lot of teachers that have a new program <laughs> and they bring out a new version. But are they really evolving? Uh, not usually. It's like, oh, they're packaging kind of the same thing, but they've got a new, <laughs> a new thing because then now they've got to give it another name. Yeah, yeah. And you kind of get onto that, right? Yeah. And maybe Joe brings out new you know, music or whatever, but I experience him as evolving. He is on the path more and more about love, more and more about coherence than, than ever. And I want to give him, I give him a lot of credit for that because he, he has found ways to reach many people yeah. Very diverse yeah. audience in powerful, motivating, inspiring, hopeful ways. And I think we need, we need more messengers out there giving positive messages that are, that's based in science because our minds got to buy in and the powers that be need to buy in. So science matters still. But we need more of that where you can not just feel inspired by somebody, but you have something you can do. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, that uh, that was one thing I remember about um, that conversation I had with uh, Dr. Joe. It's when I found his work. I'd been practicing Kundalini yoga for many years, yeah. and so when I found his stuff, I'm kind of looking around like, "This is doing Kundalini yoga," I'd like calling it neuroscience or whatever, you know. But I, I don't want to say I called him on that, but I was like, "Joe, like this is not new stuff, kind of." And he's like, mm -hmm. "Well, yeah, no shit, I know that, but." how many people are going to put on a white turban and go, you know, right. sit there and do the things? He said, I'm, I'm taking these, you know, esoteric practices and kind of making them accessible to a larger group of people. And I was like, wow, that's, that's actually really cool. And to your point, man, there, it's like all of the wisdom and all of the practices, all of the teachings that we need are prevalent. They're already here. It's not that we even need a new thing. It's just that we need to 
you know, to your point, more people that have different ways of translating that in a way that's compatible with different people's belief systems or worldview. But it's like the raw materials for us to evolve and change and create the kind of world that we crave are present and here. You know, it's just not everyone is even... Joe Dispenza's too woo-woo for many people, right? I mean, let alone a Kundalini yoga class or something. So, Right, exactly. Yeah, I, I like that uh, that perspective. And that's what we're doing here today. There's hopefully someone that's heard what you had to say. Uh, well, I don't hope. I know there are going to be many people, probably thousands that are like, wow, never looked at it like that. Mm. And it's going to have a positive impact. So for that, I thank you. And Well, and I want to thank you. You're You're cool. <laughs> I do what I can. You do what you can, but you you have so much depth. This has been a really deep, rich experience for me. As I said, I, I get interviewed often and um very grateful that people want to hear what I have to say. But I was so uh compelled by so many things you said today, so many insights you've had from your life, from all the deep work you have done. So it was very energizing and rich for me today. And I just want to 11 million and, and counting, you know. Thanks, brother. A lot of people need to hear how you come across, how you how you share is really beautiful, really powerful. Received. Thank you very much. Great to meet you again. Absolutely. Well, that's a wrap for Bruce Cryer. If you're a longtime listener of the show, thank you so much for continuing to join me. You are a ride or fly listener. And for that, I love you. And if you're a new listener of The Lifestylist and you just stumbled upon this conversation with Bruce Cryer, I encourage you, if you feel called, to share this episode with a couple friends. I think this one really held some value in our ability to connect to our innermost and highest selves and, of course, one another. Next week, we've got an incredible show coming for you, man. These are kind of two in a row that carry a similar theme. And I love exploring the inner journey and how we can elevate our consciousness and thus our comprehensive well-being. Next week's show is episode 473. It's called The God Pod, Spiritual Evolution and a Vision of Value for Humanity with Dr. Mark Goffney. And man, if you enjoyed this show, next week's show is going to blow your heart wide open, folks. Definitely one worth checking into. And if you want to make sure you don't miss next week's episode, I can make that very easy for you. Here's what you do. Simply go to lukestory.com slash newsletter. Quickly enter your name and email. And next week on Tuesday morning, I will send you all of the show notes, written transcripts, audio and video for that episode. And guess what? Next Tuesday after that, you're going to get the same thing. Again, that's lukestory.com slash newsletter. If you want to get the free gifts that Bruce kindly offered during this conversation, you can find them at lukestory.com slash Bruce Gifts. He's got some musical guided meditations and an ebook on awakening creative brilliance, all free for you at lukestory.com slash Bruce Gifts. And with that, my fellow humanoids, I bid you farewell. Have a great week and I'll see you soon.